Microphone check, one, two. Internets, before we get to this week's episode, I do want to say this. Shouts to everybody that's been rocking with us these last couple of episodes. We're able to put out um, some good ones that I was able to get recently. Not, you know, in the can. Um, you know, we had the return of Killer Mike. We had the Brian Michael Cox. We had the return of Ed Lover, YFN Lucci, the Airbnb queen Alexia who has done a tremendous job and, you know, is managing and owning over 20 plus properties and how she really, as a 23 year old, has really made a name and also a career for herself. What a, what a young, true entrepreneur, truly great episodes. If you haven't checked them out, make sure you go to iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, um, Mixcloud, Stitcher, all platforms we're on, subscribe, rate, tell a friend to tell a friend, and also go to YouTube, okay? I want you to go to YouTube. We have a bunch of full episodes there, clips, etc. and subscribe. And again, rate and tell a friend to tell a friend, as I always say. Internets, listen, peace and blessings to you and yours. Thank you for rocking out with the Premium Peach Show. You never know who's going to be going, you know, who, you never know who's going to be on. I always say it could be an actor. It could be an athlete. It could be an entrepreneur. It could be somebody with a great story. And this week's episode, man, I'm so, so excited. But before I get to that, I want you to tell you to open up your Twitter app, open up your Instagram app, at Premium Pete, at Premium Pete Show, and check the fuck in. Let me know where you're listening from. I love when people in, in the States, outside the States, worldwide, okay? I say that with proud, with, man, with, with being blessed. Worldwide listeners of the Premium Pete Show. I appreciate each and every one of y'all. Peace and blessings to you and your families. I hope everyone is, you know... Kind of like somewhat the world is getting back to somewhat normal. So I hope, you know, people are, are starting to at least enjoy themselves a little bit more. And kind of like as they see things ease up, it's important to do that, man. Uh, thank God for wine. If it wasn't for wine, I wouldn't got through this fucking pandemic, to be honest with you. But uh, internets, listen, this week's episode, I went to the house, okay, of the one and only Vince Curatola, a.k.a. Johnny Sack, Johnny Sacrimony. Whenever I do Soprano cast member episodes, we did Tony Sirico, who played Paulie Walnuts. We did Federico Castelluccio, who played Fiorio Junta. We did David Perval, who played Richie Aprile. We did uh, uh, um, Artie Pasquale, who played Bert Gervasi. And now here comes the one and only Vincent Curatoa, who played Johnny Sack. Uh, live from his house, the video will be on YouTube. The full video will be premiering uh, the day after this audio drops tremendous video. I mean, it looks so amazing at his crib. Shouts to him, my man, Garden Hose, Ryan, the videographer who really just did an amazing job with this. And and shouts to his pops too. He was at the house really helping. Listen, internets, teamwork makes the dream work. People think they could do everything themselves these days. Listen, don't always fully work like that. Teamwork makes the dream work, okay? And I'm proud of the team that I have involved. Now, I will say this. His story is amazing because not only is it, was he an amazing, you know, uh, a cast member on The Sopranos, but he wasn't really even trying to be an actor. You know, had a successful business that his father had as a masonry and then really, you know, took his hobby and really went after it. And that's what I really like. I think that's what I take from this episode, that you could have a hobby, that you could have a dream and make turn it into reality. For someone who really didn't have a lot of acting skills, went to acting class, and, and, and listen, okay? It's just been amazing to watch and all the scenes he done. I mean, this is really, I don't think you've ever seen an episode this deep and long with Vincent Curatola just such an important cast member of Sopranos and how unfiltered he is and tells 
uh, so many stories about James Gandolfini, um, you know, how, you know, different actors, different people, different moments, different times, and his life, you know, and and, and him growing up. Just a, a, a great dude, a dear friend. Um, internets, let me shut the fuck up and not say anything anymore because uh, it's time. It's time for a special episode. Internets, I present to you this week's episode of the Premium Pete Show with the legendary Vincent Curatola, a.k.a. Johnny Sacamoni. Johnny Sack on this week's episode of the Premium Pete Show. Light yourself up a cigarette. Cheer. Yo, what's up, y'all? This is Fat Man Scoop, the undisputed voice of the club, the two-time Grammy Award winner. Let me make this official for you. Fat Man Scoop, Cork McClan, Internets. It's time to go with my dude, Premium Pete. Let's get focused. Let's go. Internets, let's turn up one time. Premium Pete. Come on, everybody get set. Let's go. It's the next episode. It's the Premium Pete Show. News, interviews, all of the info. Listen up. It's the Premium Pete Show. If you want the scoop in the low, down low, listen to the show cause milk said so fuck what you heard better act like you know it's the premium pete show welcome back to another episode of the premium pete show finally well first off let me say this uh that we're in an undisclosed location of uh this man's house right here okay but you don't know where it is and you're not gonna know where it is because uh you know that could be a problem but uh, I'm 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 thankful that we finally get a chance to sit. This has been uh, a long time in the making. Long time. Um, actor, writer, teacher, pianist, um, musician, right? Yes. Dear friend Vincent Curatola, uh, many known as Johnny Sacrimony from I The heard Sopranos. Of him. I've heard. Yeah, of him. you heard of him. I heard of him. Law and Order. Yeah, that too. I heard of that. Yeah. Plays. Right. Right. Um, On the stage. Freemason? Yes, Mason, yeah. We'll get to that. Okay. Internet's Vincent Curatola. Hello, everybody. <laughs> it's good to be here with... It's Pete, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, Pete, it's okay. Pete yeah. We got re- to remember names, you know? Um, <clears throat> listen, mm-hmm. when I say this has been a long time in the making, a lot of people, I feel like, haven't seen a full-blown conversation. I don't want to say interview with you. Um, a lot of what I've done... And have done over the years, not only with just soprano or actors, um, you know, we we done with Federico Furio, yes. which was beautiful, yeah. mm-hmm. Praval, um, you know, a, a couple other people. Anyway, a lot of people don't get a chance. You know, people become with streaming these days. There's a lot of younger fans of the Sopranos, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of older fans, right? But a lot of people don't get a chance to know who, um, you know, who these people are, mm-hmm. and actually, believe it or not, some people care. You know, so we're going to take him all the way back. Vincent okay. Curatola, uh, born where? In Jersey? Englewood, New Jersey, Bergen, mm-hmm. Northern Bergen County. Mm-hmm. Yes. And my, both lived with mom and dad, right? Uh, let's see. Yes. my and, and my mother's parents who were, were business people. And my father had built a very big home and we lived there uh, for many years together. It was wonderful because I had, you know, you got your parents and your grandparents so on a Saturday night, you couldn't wait for your parents to go out to some affair. True. So you get spoiled by your grandparents. Yeah, yeah. And I they, loved it. And they and, and, and grandparents always, they know how to uh, spoil you because they could just leave. Yeah. You know what I mean? They don't have to uh, stay there and deal with all the no, bullshit. They, no. But they lived with us, so they just went to another part of the house. But I was a good kid. What, what do you mean They wanted that? to be around what, me. What do you mean you were a good kid? I was a wonderful. I was very polite. Okay. I was very polite. I was very quiet. I was good in school, and I always had little projects to do. You know, I had a I had a three uh, three story tree house that I built, 
Uh, I had all my model cars. That was a fascination for me. Uh, I had all these cubby holes in this really big house. So I, I kind of felt like I was, uh, you know, I was a kid in the candy store. It was wonderful. And what did mom do? My mother helped my father who ran a very big masonry company back in the days when uh, after the soldiers came home from World War II, there were huge developments in Bergen County, similar to Levittown in Long Island. And my father had the masonry contracts for literally a few thousand homes, mm. literally. Mm. So, and my mother, of course, helped him with payroll, insurance, such and such. And her, parent, her parents owned an embroidery and lace company. In Hudson County. So as a young kid, your parents, if you think about it, were entrepreneurs. Oh, yes. Even though it was by trade, Mason, right? Mm -hmm. But, but, but uh, you know, running their own business, They were right? business people. Her, yeah. her handling the accounts payable, so to speak. Everything. What mm -hmm. what did that do to you? Did that uh, inspire you? That did it that... inspired me quite a bit. Yeah. It really did because I knew from a very young age that I had to have my own thing. You know, I'm not the type, I don't think I would have been good taking orders. So what I did was when I was uh, 19, I want to say, yeah, I put an ad in the paper that I fixed sidewalks, I fixed retaining walls, I, I built patios and blah, blah, blah. And customers gradually started to call, you know, and I had a couple of men working for me part-time in the beginning because I didn't have enough work for them. But I thought I was on my own. I didn't care. It, if, if somebody would have said to me back then, Listen, you can go get a job and make a ton of money working for whatever corporation. I always said, no, mm. I got to be the guy. Sure. You know? Sure. Now, you know, a lot of people look back at relationships, especially men with their fathers. Mm -hmm. How would you say your relationship with dad was? And the reason why I asked this for is, 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 especially like when I think of my father, right? Great guy. But his father was, you know, came from Italy, drank a lot. I don't think they showed a lot of emotion. So the point I'm making is even me. I don't always, I mean, my father was a good guy, but I don't remember getting hugs all the time or saying, like, I, I love you, like, so much. Because I think about it, maybe their parents didn't tell them yes, that all the time. Yes, that's a good point. You know? My father was very quiet. Yeah. So when my father spoke, it was like E.F. Hutton, everybody would listen. Like Johnny Sacamone. Probably, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good, good point. But that's how he was. And he was an incredible businessman, very quiet. You'd never know who he was. Um, very humble. And my mother, the same thing. My, but my mother was a father. My mother should have played the part of Johnny Sack. <laughs> yeah. Because she had that personality. Mm. That's where I get it from. Yeah. Now, what would you say is, you know, some of the key memories and moments uh, you remember of Pops? Like, meaning like, like, you know, when you take away like uh, what you learned from him or, or what inspired you? Or I, I learned how to be honest but i have to tell you i would never i i would strive to be as good as my father in his heart because i carry i carry grudges where he was the type to say it's okay relax yeah you know you're okay today forget about last week and that type of thing i only wish i could aspire i do aspire to it and you know over the years getting older yeah you get better at it but um a lot of the things that went on, you know, my mother was 39 when she died. So she was born on the 1st of September, died on the 13th of September, 39 years later. I was 14. I just turned 14. And uh, it's funny you mention that because it was somebody from the Washington Post interviewed me some years ago uh, and said to me, well, where does uh, Johnny Sack come from? I said, well, the script, you know, they wrote him and, you know. No, 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 no. Where does he come from? 
And uh, he comes from the day of my mother's funeral on a beautiful September day like today, which I think back then was the 16th or 17th of September. Incredibly beautiful, beautiful day. And I remember looking at her casket as we were about to bring her to the church. In those days, they had what was called high requiem masses. And I remember looking at that bronze casket, and for some strange reason, any time once I, I was cast on Sopranos, whenever I was going to have a really tenacious battle, let's say, with any character, Tony Soprano, Ralph Soffaretto, whatever, uh, I would picture that casket. And then something happens. It's anger, it's regret, it's, mm. it's whatever. And it starts to come through in the dialogue. It, that was my trick. That was my ace in the hole that I would use all the time. You know, it's special here. And, you know, I've said that with a lot of people over the years. And uh, most of the time they lost their father at a young age or they didn't have a father. And I like to touch on that only because people don't realize how growing up without a father for a daughter or a son, how much that affects them. Uh, growing up, literally, you know, you're 14 years old, growing up without a mother. Yeah. You know, uh, was that a hard thing for you? Yeah, it was, it was, it was very difficult. Luckily, my, my grandmother, her mother, was only 60, 62 when this happened. And by the way, my mother was an only child. So for my grandparents, this was thorough devastation. Um, but as I said, we were very close to them because we all lived in the same house. And so my grandmother stepped in very quickly and actually became my mentor, my mentor in business, mm -hmm. my mentor in, in just in life. Uh, so I, I was fortunate enough to have a female care about me, you know, uh, but the anger that you harbor because of cancer and because of, you know, everything that goes along with it, um, and it's something that I, I talk about in, in our acting workshop is that, you know, you have to think about something. Something's going to spur you when you're working uh, on a character. Something is going to get you. Something is going to help you. And um, that whole thing with my mother, I think, was my, uh, my loaded gun, yeah. really. You know? which, which helped you in your career. I, hopefully, yeah. You know, Pops, uh, you know, ran obviously a, a, an amazing business, mm -hmm. done very well for himself, passes it on to you or teaches you to trade. Uh, you start doing well in it. You know, when- I was a lot smaller than my father's company. Yeah, of course. I was like three guys. He was 43, but that's okay. But you learned a lot. When do I you did. think you made Pops proud? When I became an actor. Okay. Do you remember that exact moment? Uh, close to it. Okay. Close Take to it. Take us down that- Oh my God, I um, I did not want to go to the Sopranos audition. Well, actually, I don't want right. to. I don't want to cut you off. But go ahead. Is this because I want to make sure that we put the you know your dear beautiful wife Maureen? Yes. I heard a story, and 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 I and she actually corrected me. Thank God, because now I know. Mm -hmm. But I heard a story that for her birthday, right, that she asked you to take an acting class or something like that for her birthday. I found that amazing. She turned to tell me that, that it wasn't the case, but it was the case that she called up somebody. You want to tell this story? But yeah. it, it's an amazing story, okay. to be honest. Okay. Maureen's birthday is the 29th of June. God bless my beautiful wife. And um, I had, you know, 
I re- I, I'll tell you this. I remember distinctly. We were, we were, we just had dinner at home, another place where we lived. And, uh, I don't know, it was just had a very frustrated evening, very frustrated night. And it was early evening. And I said, you know, I, I I'm doing this. I'm running the business. I, I, I don't know. I, I want to do something. I want to do something. I want to do something. She said, well, what is it that you want to do? I said, I want to be an actor. <laughs> I swear to God. It was just like that. At the time, I'm 38 years old. Okay. I want to be an actor. But then, you know, I'm so pragmatic, Pete. Yeah. That, you know, people call up for an estimate. I got to go give them an estimate back then, or I got to go pick up a check. We finished the job. Now they owe me money. Who's got time to go study acting? And um, there was someone who had a couple of classes locally. I went a few times. And Maureen said, uh, Michael Moriarty teaches acting. Michael's a fabulous actor. Mm. The uh, star for five, five first five seasons of Law and Order. And Won a Tony on Broadway, won three Emmys. He was up for Best Supporting Actor with Clint Eastwood for Pale Rider. And I, I nah, yeah, you go into New York. I got to go to New York, which I used to hate going sure. to New York. I lived in the edge of New Jersey. Anyway, I went. It was a Wednesday night, six o'clock class. I walk in, and it was in his gorgeous pre-war apartment diagonally across from Carnegie Hall. So I walk in and there's, you know, all these other students, 25, 30 students. And I looked at the far end of the room and I see some guy playing the piano. I'm going, oh, wow, that's Michael Moriarty. Yeah, I guess it would be. I'm in his house. And it was stunning to me that, wow, this is a real actor. This is a real, I mean, I, I, I was starstruck. I went to the class. I didn't say boo. I didn't say a word. Everybody else got a monologue scene. I didn't even know what a monologue was. That's no exaggeration. I went the following Wednesday night. The following, finally, I started to talk a little bit, you know. And it was really, yeah, because Maureen, I think, has always felt, you know, she said, you know, you watch all these old films. You love the, the way these actors work. And you must want to do it. I, yeah, I'd love to do it. But yeah, I had done two plays when I was, we had just gotten married. But they were like in the woods. Then I, I put it out of my mind. Yeah, that was fun. Sure, sure. But I'm not going to pursue wh- yeah. whatever the hell this thing is. So um, he was gracious enough to get me an audition for Law and Order in 91. And I had three lines playing a court clerk. But it got me my SAG card, which is gold. You have, yep. you know, you know the routine. So I continued there for a while. After a while, I started to run his place because he was off with Law and Order and I would take the attendance of the students and they had a substitute teacher. So now I'm saying to myself, okay, it's feeling a little bit more real, but eh. he said to me and some other people, write a five minute uh, script, story, sketch, whatever. Uh, so I did, but I couldn't stop writing it. Mm. So it turned into a very sweet guy owning a funeral home in Brooklyn, degenerate gambler who owes a lot of money to a Shylock mm. called Daily Beloved. Probably five points at that time. Yeah, it was a lot. So I had met Tony Sirico uh, in 92. Junior. Yeah, they call him Junior. God forbid I should call him Junior. I don't know what the <laughs> hell would happen to me. Some people can get away with that, though. Vinny Pastor gets away. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. does. Um. I think Armando Sante gets away with it, too. 
in any event. So a friend of mine said, I'll direct it. Let's put up some money. And we filmed Dearly Beloved, which is a half-hour comedy about this schnooky funeral home guy with a heart of gold. And I owe either I got to marry Sirico's very homely sister who you never see on screen, or I got to give him my funeral home because I don't have the money. We did that in 94. And I think we, we won an award. So we won something at the, on Houston Street, the theater. I forgot the name of the place anyway. So then uh, Sirico says to me, um, six years later, no, I'm sorry, four years later, he said, I got cast on something called The Sopranos. I said, oh, good. I felt badly for him because I wanted to see him work. I was fine. I had my business. I'm okay. So he starts working. In 98, they went into full production. <clears throat> and I had a little, little, little manager at the time, a woman. I think I was her only client mm. in Manhattan. And uh, she said to me, oh, there's this character in this thing called The Sopranos. I said, I heard about The Sopranos. I got a friend of mine's working on it. Well, this character is Johnny Sack. Yeah. And what? She said, well, I, I think you should go in for it. I'm going to call them and... Yeah, I don't know. I, I was really not certain about anything at the time. I had just done a little NBC movie of the week with Chris Nolf called Exiled. When you say not certain, you mean yeah. just not I didn't sure think, you could do it? I was No, no, no. I wasn't worried about could I do it. First of all, the breakdown said that this guy, Johnny Sack, is 70 years old, and he wears multiple little sweaters and a little cap, and he's a mob guy. I said, yeah, at the time, I'm, you know, 43. Yeah. You know? So she said, no, I want to send you in for it anyway. Okay. I blew the first two appointments. What do you mean you blew them? You didn't show up? I didn't up? go. Oh, why did, why she did... made the appointment. I said, no, I can't go tomorrow. Why? I, I mean, <laughs> she made the second appointment. I said, no, I can't because I'm working on this thing called Exile. I had two lines. It was in Staten Island. Now I got to leave. I got to go to Manhattan for the, you know. So finally, <clears throat> on the third round, I said, okay, what time tomorrow? Uh, four o'clock. All right. So I went. It was on West uh, 72nd Street. It was a satellite office of casting. So I, I just got there on time. I get out of the cab. I said to myself, I'm tired of rushing around. I'm going to stop, smoke a cigarette. So I lit a cigarette. I walked around a little bit. And I'm walking, walking, walking farther and farther away from where I'm supposed to be. I lit another cigarette. I said, no, you know, I'm already late. I might as well just get back in the cab, get back to the bridge and go home. I said, now I'll go upstairs. Your mind was playing tricks on you. Wildly. Um, so. Go upstairs. I go up. I walk into the room, whatever the room was. <clears throat> huge room, one person at a desk in the middle of the room, a woman, and she's got stacks of pictures and resumes, you know. So I walk in. She doesn't even raise up her head. She looks at her watch. She said, you're late. I said, no problem. Okay, I'll go home. I'm, I'm good. Like, now I'm released. I can leave, you know. <laughs> True story. So she said, well, did they, uh, okay, wait, wait, wait. She said, she looks up at me. And she said, sit down. Okay. She said, did they fax you the sides, you know, for the care? Yeah, I haven't. Oh, well, let's read the scene. Read the scene. And uh, that was a Thursday, I remember. She said to me, um, 
She said, I want you to come back on Monday. I want you to meet somebody. I said, okay, where do I have to go? She said, Long Island City. What? That's like Mars oh, to me. You know, Silver Cup Studios? Silver Cup Studios. So I get to Silver Cup. Or where, you know me, I'm, I'm always, where am I going to park the car? Sure, sure, sure. How do I get there? Who do I ask for when I get there? Like, I just build up anxiety like you would not believe, okay? I walk in, there's a waiting room. And they must have, so I looked at the sign-in sheet, and there's like 40 names, 45 names, 50 names. What are they in for? Johnny Sack, Johnny Sack, Johnny Sack, Johnny Sack. Anyone we would know? Not that I re remember. No. Well, I'll, I'm going to give you a, okay. a note on that. There you go. So I'm sitting in the waiting room, and I'm listening, and the walls are paper thin, and I hear these other people in there for like six, seven minutes doing the dialogue you know, that I've got in my hand as Johnny Sack. And I hear them screaming. Every one of them screaming. You know, Hesh really should get more than that because Tony Bop, but boop, 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 beep, beep, beep. And I said to myself, well, I'm not going to do that. They've already heard that. I'm going to do something different. So when it was my time to go in, sat on the couch, and there's about, I don't know, eight, nine, 10, 12 people on chairs. I didn't know who David Chase was. Nobody did. Uh, I didn't know who Alan Taylor was, the director of the episode, whatever. They said, and the producers were there. They said, okay, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. So whatever it was, the line, and then I, I said, well, you know, uh, I really think that uh, Junior's got a point there. You know, as far as Heshi's concerned, whatever it was, okay. And I, I remember them leaning away from their chairs like, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> Can you hear? I don't know, Bill. Can you hear him? I don't know, Fred. I don't, I don't really, not, I really can't hear him. And they knew it. I felt it, you know. I said, could you just do it one more time? Yeah, no problem. So I did it again. I kept my voice extremely low. Because I looked at it this way. If you've got power, and this character had a lot of power, mm. why would I be screaming? <clears throat> so thank you very much. Ba -ba 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 -ba. And they're all like, you know, just, you know how they look in an audition. They look like this. So next morning, I got a call about 11 o'clock from my manager. Said, they want you to play the part. Really? Yeah. Just like that? Just like that. I said, okay. But, but wait, you what? were slated only for like three? One episode. One, okay. No, no. One okay, episode. Okay. This was a one-off character. Okay. Which turned out to do 33? 30-something episodes. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, so what happened was uh, then, you know, they said, well, you got to come into a wardrobe and I said now I got to drive to Long Island City again <laughs> my god you know and then four days after that well we're having a table read you have to have a table I got to drive to Long Island City again I'm I'm no yeah. I'm not Davy Crockett yeah yeah I don't like leaving the house yeah yeah okay especially when I don't know where the hell I'm going so did the table read and then a couple of days later you know my stuff came up and my location was the Brownstone and Patterson and then uh the fake pork store in Harrison, you know, whatever it was. Um, and that was it. Okay, now the show had not come on the air yet, so I said to myself, yeah, good, I just did a cable show. Big fucking deal, you know. Show came on the air months and months later, January of 99, and then my episode was number six, so I had to wait a few weeks. And I looked at it, of course, when it came on, I said to myself, well, you know, kind of an interesting character. 
That was it. And then the show became a huge hit. 11 months later, they called me. And they said, well, can we clear you for three episodes out of 13? I said, yeah, I'm not doing anything. Fine. That's how it began. That's how they began to build the character. And then in, in 01, they, made, they offered me a full-blown contract. I became a series regular. Why do you think that they had, <clears throat> like, they didn't have Johnny Sack slated for that, you know, that much? Well, that's, yeah, that's the note I was going to tell you about. The, the, the guy who came up, who wrote that script by the name of Frank Renzulli. Mm -hmm. Frank Renzulli created the character of Johnny Sack. And then, of course, they have to go to David Chase for approval. And so, and, and um, Frank is an actor. So Frank said to, apparently said to David Chase, well, okay, so I guess I'm playing Johnny Sack. No, you're not. The guy wrote it, and he's, he is an actor. No, you're not. Uh, we already cast someone, blah, 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 whatever it was. Um, and I felt badly. I only met the guy once. I felt like hell. I, you know, and he had written another episode in the second season where they brought me in. And he's on the set because the writer of each episode has to be in the hole, as they say, all day. Mm. And I'm looking over at the guy and saying, oh, shit, he wrote it, and I'm playing it. I feel lousy, you know? But that's the way this business is. Um, and, you know, obviously it progressed after that. <laughs> but the one thing I have to say to David Chase's credit, well, quite a few things, but anyway, no one ever came to me and said, uh, this is what we think Johnny Sack is, this is what we think he he would sound like or he would look like or he would whatever. They let, they really left me So they, me let, they alone. let you play it. They did. They let me play it. Did you improv anything? Oh, no. no. Okay. You're not permitted to. Yeah, even... so that's that's why I asked that because the only person I ever heard of being able to improv anything were two people. And uh, one was uh, uh, Furio Federico. Mm -hmm. but he had just added some Italian stuff at the end. Okay. Of, uh, yeah. on. And then uh, uh, Sirico, Tony Sirico, uh, he had told me that there was a couple of parts he said, and they were like, could you say that again? He's like, yeah. I don't remember. I just said yeah. that off the top of my head. Right, right. And they loved like that one. But you're right. I heard they don't, if anyone improv no, anything. No, 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 no. God forbid. Yeah. That would be, first of all, it's insulting to the writer. Secondly, they just feel that whatever they wrote is is perfect for the moment, and that's what they want to hear. No, you could. Matter of fact, uh, one day, I don't remember what season, uh, one morning, I had a meeting with Tony Soprano and Johnny Sack and Tony Soprano in the new Vesuvio restaurant, which yeah. was on set by that point. They had built it on set. And there was an Italian word that uh, Jim had to say. So, you know, you don't rehearse. You know, they do it for blocking, lighting, go back to your trailer, you hang out. You know the routine. Come back in. Sure. Um, so I'm, I'm walking to the set with Jim. I said, Jimmy, you know that word you say? What, I don't remember what it was. The Italian word. He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I said, you know, it's the wrong word. No. <laughs> I said, no, it's the wrong word for whatever the hell. The, I, I can't remember what it was. He said, okay, let's go to Terry. Terry went to Terry me. went to, yeah. Wrote Ryder. the episode, yeah. so he had to be in the hole. So we walked up to Terry, and, and right away, Jimmy throws me under the bus. Vince says, that's the wrong word. <laughs> that's not the right word, Terry. What are you talking about? No, Vince says it's, I don't speak Italian, but Vince does. That's the wrong word. He says, so I guess we're going to change it, right? Terry went, no, we have to call David. <laughs>
So from the set, they had to call David Chase. I think he was upstairs in the office. Right away, now it's Terry Winter. Vince says it's the wrong word in Italian. <laughs> Jesus Christ, can't you, you know. Well, what's the right word? Then I gave him the right word. And David Chase okayed it to be rewritten and, and whatever. But that's how specific they sure. were. You could not trail off a sentence or add something to the tale or whatever. Nothing, zero. You could do nothing. But that was the beauty of it. You know, I think that when you're given something that's so specific and you can hopefully are able to deliver it, you feel good about it. Sure. You know, um, <coughs> Federico, who played Furio, um, let me know um, that he actually went and, you know, played... Uh, um, God, why am I having auditioned a point? Audition right. for Johnny Sack. He did. Which is crazy. And he, he says, uh, I don't know how right this is because he said it reminds me of like a guy who was like a John Gotti type. I forgot how he was saying. He was saying something like, I have a ponytail. Yeah. This guy's more of like well, a- and he was yeah. younger. Yeah. You know. Yeah. He was younger and they picked me. I was younger than the character that had been written. But I don't know. They saw whatever they saw, you know. Um, yeah, but he did, no, Federico did audition for the role of John Sacramento. Yeah. You know, when you think about The Sopranos, and I mean, there's so many characters, and I don't only mean that in the sense of like people, meaning it's like so many moments, so many times. When did you really realize that, you know, they were on to something? And I'm going to tell you why I say that for is because as an Italian, I remember when it just came out. Uh, you know, I was like, I hope this is not like some cardboard gangster shit where it's like, hey, yo, what are you doing Very over there? Point. And then when I start to watch it, I mean, look, it was like the Super Bowl Sunday every Sunday. Yeah. We would we would make like, you know, special foods and run home. I remember literally flying, driving home to make it home in time mm -hmm. um, to watch it. And we would have a whole spread of different things. And, you know, like we look forward to it. So obviously it became to be a staple, iconic um, but did, when did you realize that? Because I'm sure for a while you're thinking like, hey, I'm just acting, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> Don't get pragmatic on me. <laughs> I didn't realize it for years, if really? you want to believe but, that. But, but how? But how didn't how you? What? You're in the street. People weren't it, taking pictures with first you? First of all. You didn't realize from that? Yeah, no, yes. But that's an out-of-body experience. Okay. That's not like, you know, you, you, you go into the bank on a Monday you know, and 12 people are staring at you. And you're saying to yourself, oh yeah, The Sopranos. That's what it feels like. To this day, that's what it feels like. Only because when you're working, you don't, I, I don't know, I never got the impression that so many people watched it. Even while we were in production. I mean, yeah, we, we were hired to do multiple personal appearances, uh, Vegas, uh, Vegas, uh, California, Connecticut, whatever. So obviously, you know, you got 1,500 fans in the room. You go, yeah, they watched the show. But to know now that it was millions every Sunday, I mean, that, that's an incredible thought. It really is. But <clears throat> while you're in production, if you start to think about that, you're in trouble. Because the next week when you go back on set to start another episode, you're going like, gee, you think they'd like if I sat this way better than if I looked at, you know, you, you, if you're going to sure. feed into that, 
you, you're going to wind up with a problem. Sure. So. You know, for people who don't know D- David Chase, and there's a lot that don't. They know of him. They don't know him. And what what would you say? Uh, who is David Chase? I have no idea. I swear to you, I have no idea who this man is. Um, I mean, I, a genius at at some point, without a doubt, without a doubt, a genius. But to know him, no, I, I've real, I, I've spoken to him, obviously, not a heck of a lot. Uh, we used to have actors come in who. You know, they were only going to be in maybe one or two episodes. And I remember somebody walked up to me. I don't know who the hell it was. Early one morning at the craft service table, I'm getting coffee and a bagel, whatever it was. And somebody came up to me and said, oh, you know, uh, I just passed David Chase in the hallway. And uh, I've been working on the show now for two weeks. And he didn't say a word to me. And they'd have that nervous look. Yeah. And I would say, you're very lucky. I am why. He'll only talk to you when you're about to die. So apparently you're going to be around for a while. So don't worry about that he didn't say good morning. But no, I've I've had, <clears throat> I don't know, minimal conversations. Not that I ever avoided him. He just wasn't the kind of guy that you'd run up to and say, oh, come on, let, you know, let's yeah, go sure, get a bagel. Sure. Let's get that ain't happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to happen. So you never, you never, you no, know. No, I don't try. I'm not one to come in on sure. you that way anyway, you know. You know, you mentioned before that, you know, there's an out-of-body experience and you didn't know how big it was. You have a son. You know, when your son was growing up, he didn't have, like, you know, friends, like, or anybody be like, yo, your dad's Johnny Sack. Or, yeah. Did oh, that sure. ever happen? Yeah, like, oh, yeah, a lot. All the time. Still happens now. People sometimes. Matter of fact, he went surfing in, in Ireland years ago. And uh, he went to go pay the tab in, in, a, in, a, in a pub. And the, the bartender saw Curatola, and he went, wait a minute. Is it possible you could be related to that actor? And that's just from a, an Amex card. True. You know. But my, my son's very cool about it. My whole family's very, just very relaxed about it, you know. And none of them fear me in my home, which is very sad. <laughs> well, 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 even, listen, things have its perks. I'm sure you were out to eat in Jersey, and somebody sent a bottle of wine over. Many times. Yeah. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> Actually. The Brajut is on us. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> the best one, one of the best ones is you're walking down the street and some guy runs up to you with his cell phone. Oh my God, he's trying to say, could you say, could you say hello to my girlfriend, Gina? Because then I'll get lucky tonight. <laughs> and I'll go, hello, Gina, this is Johnny Sack. No, it ain't. Seriously, this is Vincent Kier. Oh yeah, I hear the voice now. Oh, that's so wonderful. And the guy's going, hey, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I mean, if you need that to get laid, I, I should go into business. Uh, yo, listen, you know what? Let's take a quick break. Okay. We're sitting here with- uh, Why, you have to go to the bathroom? No, no, it's good oh. to get a break. You know oh. why? When we come back, then yeah. we uh, you know, we go to the second half when we close out your uh, your journey in life. Okay. But uh, My journey in life's going to be closed out? Well, not here. Oh, it was right. closed out on The Sopranos, not oh, okay. in real life. All right, very good. Uh, Internet, we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. The one Thank and you. only Vincent Curatola. Hey. This is Federico Castelluccio, Furio Junta of The Sopranos. And this is a stupid fucking podcast. Premium Pete. What the fuck do you know? Internets, today's episode is brought to you by the good folks at Seedlip. Let me put you on to something. Many people say, yo, Premium Pete, man, how can I support you all these years? I love the content. Well, when we have sponsors, okay, 
Let's show up and show out. They have a discount code. They have a promo code. I like what they're doing. Their ginger ale is off the hook. They got non-alcoholic drinks. Mess with them, okay? Now, let me get back to this ad. Seedlip is the original distilled non-alcoholic spirits. They're crafted from the finest globally sourced botanical ingredients, and they come in three varieties. Let me put you on. The Aromatic Spice 94, Herbal Garden 108, and Citrus Forward Grove 42. They're all without alcohol, calories, or sugar, okay? Now, let me put you on. You could also make some cocktails at home, okay? They're non-alcoholic, health is wealth. No better time to make sure you take care of what you're putting into your body, okay? As simple as adding a splash of premium mixer or two ounces of your preferred expression or challenging your bartending skills, okay? You could do that at home exactly with Seed Lip. Seed Lip enables you to have that evening drink any night of the week. Can you, now, listen to this. Conveniently delivered direct to your doorstep from SeedLipDrinks.com. Again, that's SeedLipDrinks.com, S-E-E-D, L-I-P, drinks.com. And at the checkout, I want you to put in premium 15. Again, that's premium 15. Put that at the checkout. Save yourself some money and support the premium Petro. Come on. What, what more can I ask for? Forget about it. Internets, this episode is also brought to you by the good folks at Epics. Let me continue to put you on. We've been telling you for the past couple of weeks about Enslaved. It's incredible. It's a new six-part original docuseries featuring award-winning actor and icon Samuel L. Jackson, and it's only on Epics, okay? This docuseries explores 400 years of human trafficking from Africa to the New World by following the efforts of diving with a purpose as they search for and locate six slave ships that went down with their human cargo. We already told you, but we're going to continue to tell you. It's executive produced and featuring award-winning actor Samuel L. Jackson. The series tracks the efforts, efforts of the divers as they utilize new methods of underwater archaeology to identify and locate these sunken slave ships for the first time in history. Internets, these modern-day adventures serve as a springboard to tell the stories of the ideology, economics, and politics of slavery, while also celebrating stories of resistance, the cultures left behind, and the culture that we live in. Watch new episodes of Enslaved Mondays at 10, 9 central, or watch anytime on demand, only on Epics. Come on, what are you waiting for? Get the channel or get the app. Tell them Premium Petro sent you. Message somebody. Go watch it, but tell somebody Premium Petro sent you. Enslaved. It's only on Epics. Cheer. Now let's get back to the episode. And we're back sitting here with my friend, the one and only Vincent Curatola. He's played in a couple of things before, as we known. You know, we already went through a half of an episode already. You know, one thing we didn't speak about is, is uh, you know, and I, I think you expressed this a little bit, but you were a paper boy mm-hmm. when you were young. I yes. was a paper boy. Right, yeah. And I heard that, um, well, well, you'll tell us, but I heard that there were some famous customers that you Very had. Very famous people. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about your paperboy days. Okay. So let's see. As I said to you before, I grew up in Englewood, New Jersey, which is northern New Jersey, right near the George Washington Bridge. And I lived on a road called North Woodland Street. Beautiful, a lot of trees, a lot of beautiful homes. My father had built the home when I was an infant. And um, so I guess I was 12, yeah, when uh, I got the paper route. And my paper route was just my street. You know, so across the street from me, I had uh, I had a, a man by the name of Van McCoy who went on to write a song called The Hustle. Mm. 
whatever. But he was a Columbia Records recording artist. Wonderful, wonderful guy. Opened up a music publishing company in D.C. after some years. So I had him. Then one, two, three, four, five doors up, I had Dizzy Gillespie, the famous trumpet player. Uh Directly across the street from him, I had Sarah Vaughan, (laughs) the jazz singer. Up a little more up the block to the left, in a cul-de-sac, I had Tony Bennett. Three doors down from me on the other side, I had Jerry Vell. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. Then, who was not on my paper out was Wilson Pickett, who lived like over there. Leslie Gore. You remember her? It's my party. Yeah, she lived up the road. I only delivered papers to her a few times. But the entire town of Englewood was, you know, the Isley Brothers. Uh, Wilson Pickett, who I mentioned, Andre Previn. Mm. Um, oh my God, let me think who else. Uh, uh, I can't remember his name. Um, Dick Sean, comedian, comic, comedic actor. Um, another comic. Uh, I, I can't I forget it. You know, you you. But uh, yeah, I so I you know I saw these people all the time, you know, and I remember one Monday morning, Monday afternoon, I saw Tony Bennett riding his bicycle past my house. And I said, hi, can I, you're Tony Bennett, right? Yeah, how you doing? Good, blah, blah, blah. Oh, you got a beautiful home, thank you. I said, you, you, you're on a bicycle. He said, yeah, I'm going to Jerry Vale's house. I'm going to have coffee. And I'm thinking, Jerry Vale, Jerry Vale, I got it. Turns out Jerry Vale's wife was very good friends with my mother. Um, but there was a lot of inspiration in, in the town that I grew up in. And then when you went downtown to, you know, luncheonette or whatever, you saw everybody. True. So I kind of said to myself back then, <clears throat> and I love music. I was in a big band, not, you know, not an orchestra band, but I said to myself, maybe that's going to be my, my so, road. You so, know? so would you say your first inkling of what you wanted to do would be an artist? Yeah. Yes. And then you actually did, uh, and you tell us, but you know, I know that you, uh, I think you did some stuff with Chicago or you, you, yeah. you were on the same stage that's as them. A, that's a cute story if you got time. Yeah, uh, for sure. Okay. Um, we went to some benefit, Maureen and I, at the China Club in Manhattan. Oh, maybe back in 04, 05. I don't know what it was. We were in production with Sopranos. <clears throat> so we walked in and uh, somebody said, Chicago's here. That's what? The band Chicago? Yeah, they're performing tonight at the Benefit. Huge stage. I said, Maureen, I'll be right back. I ran back to where we parked the car in the parking garage. I said to the guy, give me my keys. Okay, give me the keys. I opened it up, and then my console had a Chicago album because I loved them. I grabbed the album. I go back inside. When they took a break, I said to the security people, can I talk to one? Oh, yeah, sure. So I go up to them. I said, guys, I, if you don't mind, if you have time, would you sign my, my album? And they looked at me. And they said, you want our autograph? I said, yeah, you're Chicago. Of course I want you. No, we want your autograph. What, you watch the show? <laughs> I had no idea. You know, you don't realize sure. that people actually sit down and watch you. And I, I was shocked by it. So they were staying at the Plaza Hotel. They invited Maureen and I to come back and have midnight supper with them. So we're all at this huge table, whatever that restaurant was at the time at the plaza. And they're humming and they're singing. And so I kind of like sang along with them a little bit. 
And one of them, Walt Parizeda, one of the founders of the band, said, oh, my God, you sing. I said, no, I don't sing. No, 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 no. You, you sing. No, I don't. They worked it out where I would come on stage with them at later concerts where they always say, well, we pick someone local to come out and sing a song with us. Not telling anybody it's the guy from The Sopranos. And that's what I would do. I did several concerts. But what would you sing? I sang all days. I sang Saturday in the park with them. <laughs> yeah. Where's this footage? Is it out there? I, no, I don't think so. I don't know. But I'm going to do more with them next year. Okay. Uh, next summer. Go. I That's think Jones news. Beach and probably PNC Art Center. You know, I remember seeing a commercial with uh, Tony Sirico and you. Um, we toasted them? Yeah, it's like on some TV channel for Chicago. Yes, you- it's. I think it's actually, I think you can go on YouTube. Okay. And it was me, Jimmy, and Sirico, and I don't remember who else, and we toasted their appearance. It was like a break, like a commercial break. It was like a like commercial that. break, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, on TV. They're wonderful people. You know, do, do you consider yourself a good singer? No, I'll tell you what I do. This is what happened. Uh, Frank Sinatra Jr. did an episode with us, second season, called The Executive Card Game. It was mm. a three-day shot just of a card game. And, uh, you know, we became friendly with he and Tony Sirico and I. So we always stayed in touch. So I went to go see him in Atlantic City uh, five years ago. And again, another midnight supper, and I'm humming. <laughs> he said to me, you should sing. I said, no, again, you're another guy telling me I'm a singer. I'm not a singer. No, 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 no. You should sing. I thought about it. I called up a friend of mine who was, at the time, my jazz guitar teacher. I said, can you put a band together? He said, yeah. We did some dates, and it it worked out well. Of course, COVID shut everything down, you know, whatever. But um, I don't consider myself a singer. What I do is, when I get up to sing, I say to myself, I'm an actor who's now, for two hours, going to be playing a singer, the part of a singer. Mm. So I go into a cat. Sure, sure, that's powerful. And that's what I do. You know, if there was any other part you could have played in The Sopranos. <laughs> Good. What would it be? Drea, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know something? I, it's funny you say that because I think this was the only fit for me. Now that, of course, that I've worked on it and saw so many characters come and go. But I think this this was because Johnny Sack is not really very far away from me um, in the sense that I am very possessive. If I love you, I own you. Sure. Um, and if you're going to do wrong by my family or whatever, then nobody can be able to save you. Sure. <clears throat> so a lot of that came through, and I felt that it was it – was, because I'll tell you something, each and every time – they would hand me a new script. Um, I would look at what they wrote for me and say, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, he'd do that. I would do that. He would do that. I would. Do-. It was so close that it was really, uh, I'm not going to say it was a walk in the park. I'm not going to demean the art of acting. But it helped with the fact that it, sure, it's it played a lot to, of my personality. It played to the personality of who you are. Yeah. You know, even like when you look at like David Preval, I remember the scene and he spoke about this with me and a lot of times the scene with Janice when he was having sex with her and he put a gun to her head. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to do that. And I remember him saying that a wise guy wouldn't do that to his wife. I believe They'd not, probably no. do that to like a guma. Yeah. 
And uh, he fought back with David Chase. And I remember him saying that David Chase says, Dave, it's a character. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, yeah, but they wouldn't do it. He said, it's a character. It's a character yeah. And I tell you, I don't know how true it is, but he feels, and I think David feels this way, who's a sweetheart of a guy. Yes, he is. Um, feels that after he challenged David, rest in peace to Richie Aprile. <laughs> <laughs> you know, did you know when you were going to die? Oh, that's a good story. Um, what happened was we had just started production on the final, they call it, HBO calls it season six plus more. We, I call it season seven. Uh, that was a, that's a long story. I don't want to get into yeah, why, no but anyway. Um, so in the second, second episode, uh, Johnny Sack, he's had it, you know. So Terry went to call me because he was writing the episode. And he said, listen, uh, Johnny is uh, going to become very sick. And he's going to die. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm a series regular. I get paid no matter what. So it was cool with me. Um, I said, what is, what is, well, lung cancer. That's okay. So it is what it is. And I said, listen, I'm on the foundation board of Hackensack University Medical Center. I said, uh, do you need to know any? Oh, that would be great. So I hooked him up with uh, one of the leading oncologists. And Terry went to meet him, had a meeting with him, and wanted to know what type of medication my character would be on. He'd like to get an idea what he would look. I had six makeup changes for that episode. The progression was horrible, you know. But as far as dying, uh, what I did was I died first on my first day. <laughs> Of the episode, <laughs> and then we went backwards to the diagnosis. Oh, you know, you, your head's got to be like in different sure, places sure. all the time, and the makeup changes were accordingly. You know, um, and I was I was blessed to have uh, Sidney Pollock, yeah, as uh, a fellow inmate in the prison hospital. A wonderful guy, wonderful guy, and he he met me the first morning on set. Oh, hi, how are you? I do. First thing I said to him, I says, what the fuck was it with that 17-minute scene and eyes wide shut with the pool table, yeah. you and Tom? Oh, he said, I couldn't stand it. Kubrick wanted it long. I said, you, you must have gone, I, I would have gone nuts, 17 minutes in one scene. He said, no, you're right, you're, right. you're one of the few people who ever picked up on that. He said, you know, it cost me $18,000 to get to the set. I said, what'd you do, like take a cab from Kuala Lumpur? What do you mean $18,000 to get here? He said, I have my own jet, and you have to hire a, a co-pilot. And it's a Citation 10. The guy made money, and he was... Sure. And he was, well, very well off, and deservedly so. Very creative director and an actor. And, uh, no, I felt, you know, I was laying in the bed in the scene, and uh, I looked up into the rafters of the sound studio at Silver Cup, and I imagined like there was a little leprechaun, and I'm flat, you know, and I'm looking up at this imaginary little leprechaun, and he's saying to me, it's okay, it's like, come up here, we have a lot of fun up here. You don't feel good, you're gonna feel better when you get up here. And I kind of looked at him, you know, like I wanted to go up there and be up there and have fun with him. And 
you know, and see my mother. Because that one of the lines sure. was, mom, mom, you know, whatever. Um, you know, you got so many people, God bless them, strangers who run up to me and they say, you know, the acting on The Sopranos was this, great, bup, boop. And I said, thank you. But you, I always say you have to give it to the writers because we only said what they wrote. And their creativity was sublime. Sure. Terry Winter, especially, I mean, what a talented individual. Yeah, went on to uh, create Boardwalk Empire yep. and Vinyl and, uh, yeah. You know, um, when we think about Johnny's Sacrimony, okay, mm -hmm. it's funny how so many Soprano fans worldwide, let's, let's say that, mm -hmm. worldwide, yeah. um, say nobody smoked a cigarette <laughs> better than Johnny Sack. <laughs> now, you were a chain smoker, but... Let people know who don't know. I think you, you quit. Have you quit? How long quit. have you quit? Uh, I quit cigarettes in 06, about three weeks before I shot my final episode where Johnny is still smoking. So I called Terry. I said, Terry, you know, I, I quit. No, no, no problem. We're going to get you those fake cabbage cigarettes, whatever the horrible things. And, uh, you know, I used them during the episode. But. I know in real life, in real life, yeah, I smoked, but I mean, I never, I never lit one right off the other. You know? So that was the writer's thoughts that this guy, Johnny Sacrimony, the, you know, who you played would smoke like that? Well, you know what it is? Uh, the writers were very, obviously very observant and we were always at functions together or hanging out on the set together and they'd see me light up. And in those days, you lit up right on the set during a break. Nobody said boo to you, you know. So that cigarette, as far as I'm concerned, became a very good friend. That cigarette was never going to betray me. I could trust that cigarette that when I lit it and I drew on it, that it was going to relax me, my character. And it became a very good friend. And uh, I don't recall really... Anywhere in the script ever where it said, well, Johnny lights up. No, I would do it. But so that was an improv thing, if you well, think about a, it. In, in a sense, it was it was a prop. Yep. But you have to realize that when you're smoking a cigarette on film, wherever you stop, you can't relight, you know, on sure. the on the on when they turn the cameras around. So the prop people would always take a photograph of where my cigarette stopped. And then they would go and cut new ones. <laughs> That's incredible. And then we'd light them on the other end. Otherwise, you're saying, gee, wasn't Vince like down to the, almost to the bottom and now he's got a brand new one? People pay attention. Oh, and I right. do. Yeah. You know, you, know, you know, when we speak about improv, and we spoke about this earlier, and you said how like no one improv, and I explained how the only people who did it was like very small. Yeah. But if you think about it, Tony Sirico played Paulie Walnuts, Vincent Pastor who played Big Pussy. Mm-hmm. Vincent Curatoa played Johnny Sacrimony, Johnny Sack. The point I'm making is these guys, neighborhood guys, um, have had their, uh, you know, uh, Tony has been around tons of mobsters. Yeah. Vincent, likewise, you. And I don't mean mm. like been around. I'm not, no, I there's no feel, But what I yeah. mean is you see, just like me, like I grew up in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. I've seen the guys come up with the caddies. I was washing caddies at, at, at 12 years old, getting mm -hmm. $200. So the point I'm making is, did Terry Winter or David Chase understand that 
your actions, maybe not the improv, but did they let you like your face like or, or this? Because you know that you're in the field because I heard even like Scorsese, I don't know how true this is, mm-hmm. but I heard that he would have different people and guys come on just to lend a hand or help. Yeah, him. yeah. Um, Marlon Brando did the same thing in 1956, shooting on the waterfront in Hoboken. He met a kid 14, 15 years old in lower Manhattan, who was filling up cigarette machines and jukeboxes in a bar. And he said to the kid, could you come over here for a minute? I want to talk to you. The kid, you know, who, Marlon Brando, you know. He said, "Uh, what are you doing tomorrow morning? He said, well, you know, I got to get up. I got to stock these machines. I want you to come with me tomorrow. Mr. Brando, you want me to come with you where? What do you, what, you know. Well, we're going to get in the train with Eva Marie Saint, and we're going to Hoboken. I'm shooting this movie called On the Waterfront. Figures, okay, you know, going with Marlon Brando. He brings him to the set in Hoboken, and there's Ilya Kazan, the director, and says, uh, okay, Marlon, we're ready to go. Who's this? Oh, he said, uh, this is my new friend. He said, well, who is he? What, what, you brought a friend to the set? Yeah, Al Latiri, the actor, mm. became an actor. He said, why do you, he said, I want you to put him on the payroll. To do what? He said, we don't have a budget that we can, you know, just put a kid on the payroll. <laughs> I want him with me every day while I'm working. I don't understand, Marlon, what are you talking about? It turned out that this kid was filling up machines for a mobster. You know, they all owned trending sure. machines. And this kid just had something about him that was very gritty, uh, very streetwise. And Marlon wanted him around all day. P.S., fast forward to 1971, and Paramount is making The Godfather. And this kid already became an actor. And who is he playing? Virgil Salazzo. Mm. Okay. This was all about atmosphere. And um, Brando insisted on having him on the set. The kid obviously became inspired and went from The Godfather on to The Getaway and a lot of other things. Unfortunately, died young at the age of mid-40s, or he would have really, I believe, gone on. But when you talk about expressions, did you say facial expressions and things like that? No. Yeah. No. And you had crazy facial expressions, yeah, let's I be did. honest. I did, especially when people pissed me off. When other characters would piss off my character or disrespect my character. Um, but I could always feel, as an actor, I always feel it coming out of my eyes. Sure, sure. You know, where I just feel like I'm piercing through that wall right now. It's fire in my eyes. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned being around guys, you know, uh, I never, I have to tell you, I never did any research on anyone in that life. Only because I said to myself, I don't want to stupefy my performance by, gee, I read that, you know, Frank Costello used to put his cigarettes out this way instead of this. I, I didn't want that. Sure. So I stayed virginal when it comes to that. But um, it's strange because there's a fellow who, when I was 19 years old, I started going to a restaurant in Fort Lee, New Jersey, called Archer's Restaurant, and it was a fabulous northern Italian, full of gangsters. Full, okay? 
And I had not seen him in 30 some odd years. And I saw him a few years ago in his new restaurant. He was the maitre d' at the other one. And he said to me, you know, I watch you, I watch you, I watch you. He said, I know that uh, you trained as an actor. He says, you know where you became an actor? I said, no, where? what do you mean where I became? He says, when you used to come into Archer's and you used to look at those guys and the way you dressed, I was never over the top, but he was right. When I think back and I saw these guys come in with the most gorgeous wives, girlfriends, whatever, brand new cars, something happened to me. And I said to myself, I'm going to remember all this. But I don't know why. I'm Because I had no aspirations whatsoever at that age of going into acting. But it's true. Because I would start to morph into some of the... For example, you say to a wise guy, uh, you know, uh, hey, John, they never do this. Yeah, what? They never do that. <laughs> they do this. What do you want? You don't rush them. Yeah. And I remembered it. And there were times in scenes where I would just take my time to react to something because if I've got the power, fuck you, you're going to wait. Sure. So maybe this guy was right, this restaurant owner. Got shouts to him. Yeah. Thanks. You know, what would you say for people who are fans of Sopranos? Um, what would you say the camaraderie is behind the scenes? And the reason why I asked that for is like, even as you were leaving, like, was it, was it one big family? Was it one big dysfunctional family? Was it a clusterfuck? Or was it like, even like when you exited the show, you just never seen him again? Was it like a high school or college years and then that's it? Like, what would you portray it to? You, you understand what I mean? You know, we spent so much time around each other, the cast, that once my character was done, they only had a few more months to go. But we we did so many personal appearances all over the place that we were around each other a lot. Or, uh, you know, go down to Mulberry Street and go somewhere and have dinner, three or four of us. We were in constant contact. Sure. So I really, I didn't miss anyone. I really, people have asked me that question for years. Was it like a, a feeling of separation? No, because we were always around sure. each other. You know, and then we did a couple other things together. You know, Jimmy... Jimmy did a film in New Orleans that I was in with uh, Sam Shepard and, and, and Brad Pitt called Killing Them Softly. And that was years after Sopranos ended. Did another one in Canada, a comedy. Um, I, no, I never felt... Uh, I never felt like, you know, the, now they're on another planet. Sure. I'll never see them again, no. You know, um, when we speak about James Gandolfini, um, first of all, um, his birthday was... Uh, you know, two, um, day, two uh, days ago. Yesterday. 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 Uh, well, when this comes out, probably be about a week right. or September two. September 18th. Yep. Yeah. 59 years old. Correct. Um, you and him had such great relationship. More importantly, you and him had so many key point uh, conversations and moments in Sopranos that are legendary for people. Um, going back and forth, but both respecting each other. You know... Um, Gone too young, gone too early, gone too young. Uh, a tremendously talented man. I don't think anybody could, you know. Obviously, I heard, and for people uh, listening or watching, uh, I heard that uh, 
Richie Aprile tried out for Tony Soprano. I heard they were going to get Chaz Palm. Uh, Palminteri, I heard Ray Liotta. Ray Liotta yeah. I heard a couple. Let me tell you something. And no disrespect to any of those guys, but nobody knew what this could be. I mean, when he was playing with those ducks in the pool, I mean, I, I, I mean, I mean, just a, <laughs> I, I, I mean, bigger than an actor, bigger per- than perfectly cast. Yes, right, perfectly yes. cast. And and he's missed. And and yeah, he's tremendously missed. I mean. Without going too deep in it, uh-huh. is there a memory that you remember that is very fond to you <laughs> that you would share with the world? <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, uh, well, a lot of them. Um, we we were at uh, Mohegan Sun, and casino. it was yeah the casino, and we we were hired to. Uh, to do a meet and greet. There were about 15, 1,600 people. And uh, so we're up in Jimmy's suite, and it was him and Lorraine and Jamie Lynn and me and a couple other people. And you know they have those floor-to-ceiling windows, you know, right? So I don't know what it was. uh, He was kidding around. He came up behind me, lifted me up off my feet. I weigh 240. Lifted me up from my feet and brought me to this fucking window. Jimmy, no. Jimmy, no. No, Jimmy, no. And everybody's like, they're laughing. What the fuck are you laughing at? But he used to, I don't know why. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but he used to have this way of, or we'd be sitting at a table somewhere at, you know, an event. And I'm quiet. You know, I'm not really sure. a conversation. Yeah, you're not boisterous. No, I'm yeah. not at all. And uh, so he would see that I was quiet. And he would take something and throw it at me, at my face, at my hand, at my chest, whatever, whatever it was, just to make sure I was alive, sure. you know? And um, many times, I mean, my, my Maureen had, had gotten sick a couple of days before Christmas some years ago. Thank God she's fine. It was a, it was a false alarm. Your wife. Yep, my wife, Maureen. And uh, so he called me and he said, oh, Maureen's in the hospital. Yeah. Well, what's I'm coming. No, Jimmy, you don't have to come to the hospital. You know, you're not a doctor. I appreciate it, but you know. No, 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 I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. I said, okay, okay. When do you come? I'll be there at four o'clock. So I, I had already gone to that. So I go downstairs at quarter to four. Because I don't want him to get maimed while he's walking into sure, the hospital. Sure, sure. So I go down, I get you know, gets out of the car with his wife, Deborah. And he comes upstairs. And comes into the room. It's it's Christmas, you know. So I'm standing at the foot of the bed, and I, I don't mean to be crude, but I like you know the band on your underwear when it starts yeah, yeah, really yeah, yeah, bothering yeah, yeah. you, you know. Maureen hadn't been home for a few days, and I don't do laundry, so now I have found old jockey briefs down on the bottom. Of the drawer, and I, I don't know how old they were. They were clean. So I put on a pair, and this thing is, I, I, I can't stand it anymore, okay? So I took a pair of scissors, and I cut the band like this, you know? I just whipped them. And he's sitting in the chair next to the bed. Go, what are you doing? I said, my underwear is killing me. <laughs> it's fucking killing me. What'd you do? I said, I cut them, and now my stomach can breathe, and I'm a... But he would always look at me when I would do something like he thought I was from Mars. Many times. We did a scene in Newark one night, just he and I, a long scene. 
And when they turned around on my close-up, I just let them have it within the confines of the cat. And when they, when we heard cut, he just looked at me. He said, "You really are crazy." I said, "You, you are calling me crazy? Are you out of your fucking mind? Look at you!" But he always had a way, and I did ninety percent of my work with him only, at least. But he always had a way of reading me on the set, and he would know where we were going to take this. Sure. And I would look at him, and I began. There were times when we would be standing face to face in the scene, and I'm mean, I'm six feet tall. He was taller, but as he's as his character is becoming more aggressive, it was like somebody jacked him up, and he started getting taller. And now my eye lines off. Like, what the fuck happened to this guy? He's just like till he's up here, and he's now he's talking down. He, he had a way, I've seen him actually lay down on the floor on set because the poor guy was exhausted. They worked him like crazy. They really did. He had the ability, he could go lay down in that corner and go to sleep. And 20 minutes later, Jim, we're ready for you. And get up and go right into character instantly. <clears throat> instantly. He just had that ability. Uh, he was a big, huggable bear, generous to a fault, uh, stood with us many times. We had some, you know, negotiation problems through the, through the seasons with HBO. And he would always be the one to say, listen, if these guys aren't taken care of, I'm not coming to work. Like, what are you going to do without me? Seriously. But he stood for us. He stood for us each and every time there was a bit of a glitch. Very generous, man. That's powerful. Very powerful. Rest in peace to the legend. Yeah, rest in peace. You know, um, also another thing you do when we speak about... Well, actually, let's get this out of the way. Your I'm, wife, sli I'm sliding here. I know. It's all right. Get back it's up. Okay. Get back up. Here you go. Now, we talk about... Um, what? Your wife mentioned this elevator story, so let's get this out. <laughs> let's get this out, and then I got a couple other places right, okay. to go okay. before so, we wrap this up. My father was in the hospital uh, in Hackensack, and uh, it was a Monday morning. So he was, he was doing well, thank God. So Maureen and I get to the hospital, and I think she, you went upstairs first. I don't remember what it was. Okay, so um, I'm waiting at the elevator. There's like six elevators, but it's a Monday morning. They're busy, you know. So there's this whole flock of nurses, and they're waiting for elevators. So I walk over, and you know, I'm waiting for the elevator. And one of them looks at me, spots me, and goes, Oh, you were great last night. Oh, and all the, on cue, these girls go like this. I said, oh, you mean the show? Yeah, it was a good episode. Thank you. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, my God. That's classic. It was fun. A lot of, lot of, lot of stuff like that. You happens. know, we got to go uh, to, uh, hold on. I got to bring this okay. up real quick because, uh, first of all, there's a lot of love. Shouts to Reddit, right? You know, are you familiar with Reddit? Yes. You ever heard of it? Yes, I so, am. So they always show a lot of love, especially for Soprano stuff that I do. But I've seen a whole thread on you. It's called the Johnny Sack Appreciation Thread. You got to gotta listen to this. It says, was he anybody else's favorite non-Tony character? I thought he was one of the scariest mobsters on the show, simply because of how calm he normally was. And then when he got angry, he fucking exploded. Guys like Tony... 
Phil, Paulie, et cetera, are, are, are hot-headed and prone to rage. Johnny Sack's anger comes out of nowhere, and you know it means something. He also maybe had the best balance between his two families. He didn't cheat on his wife, and he had a healthy and loving relationship with his wife and daughters while still being in a very high-up position. His death was also one of the most impactful on the show for me. And it says, what are your favorite quotes moment from him? And you'll get, you know, the 200 grand to insult my wife. What's next, Carmine? You get the fucker for a million. Right. Now, when, did you know that somebody, you know, uh, what about, you know, um, I remember a time when you told Christopher, Michael Imperial, I remember a time when you used to stay in the car. As far as I'm concerned, you should still be there. Now, do right. you did you think that these lines were going to oh, be no, something? no, no, my God, no. My God, no. I, I, no, I, you know, I get it every day either in emails or Instagram or Twitter, and people quote my di- people on the street quote my dialogue, sure. you know? Uh, but, I mean, when you're in it, you don't think that, you know, I mean, it's not Shakespeare. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Where people, you know, once upon a brief, whatever. Um, no, I never thought it would be, the lines of our characters would become iconic. I mean, I have people who say to me, oh, uh, I'm going to call my friend on the phone and blah, blah, blah. Could you say, speak? <laughs> I mean, when I got the script and I saw speak, I said to myself, yeah, okay, it's another word. But who would think that it would become indelible? Sure. I mean, look at these people. I mean, let me, I, 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 listen, you don't get a chance to hear all this. So we're also, besides doing a, an episode with you, we're also giving you your flowers Thank and you. let these people, because Thank look, because look, it says John was very underrated. A pragmatic. How do, you, how do you say that? Your pragmatist? Word? Yeah, pragmatist. There you go. In the words of Little Carmine, right? It says, I always thought he was arguably the series' most pivotal character. Think about that. One show you were for. I want you to think about that. Yeah. This is what people are writing after, you know, it could have been one show. Goodbye, Johnny Sack. Um, he was always the bridge between New York and New Jersey. Crazy, he's a New Jersey, New Jersey guy. Um, the most business-minded out of the New York crew through the Espinal collaboration. In season five, his patience with everything started to wear thin. And the fallout from the New York power struggle didn't necessarily strengthen his ties with Tony. I'm sure behind the scenes, John and Phil began to bend each other's ears, setting up the beginning of the end for New Jersey. And he says, I always love his reactions, how in season four onward, he started yelling many of his phrases. All of you know, all of a sudden, got a goddamn opinion. What is this? The fucking UN now? <laughs> but you had to think one of these were at least fucking classic. I get that all the time. UN is one of the famous. I mean, most shitstorm. Yeah. Oh, right, yeah. Right. Oh, absolutely. I get people say, "Would you?" You know, if I call my brother-in-law, would you? no, I'm not doing that. You know, but whatever. Um, no, but I like I said, when you're in it, you don't you don't think about it. Sure. You know, you also don't, yeah, you knew people were watching it, but, you know, to the degree. But now we have people, you know, who are 17, 18, 20 years old run up to me and say, oh, my God, Johnny Sackman. What? No, I'm watching it now. I couldn't watch it when I was a kid, you know. So because, well, last November. At Sopranos Con. Well, before, a week okay, before, I was in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Oh, that's right. You went down there with, with Vinnie Pastor, Pastor and Federico. And Federico, yeah. Some promoter sent us out there. How many people were out there? Oh, thousands. Could you believe that? Thou- and we're 6,500 miles away from home. We're in a Muslim country. And kids running up and, you know, you sign a, a picture for them. I can't tell you how many. Who do I make it out to? Mohammed. Mohammed. Okay. M-O-H-A-M-M. Next kid comes up. 
Oh, Mr. Johnny Sack, sir, could you sign a picture of me? Yeah, no problem. Uh, could you pick uh, Mohammed, my good friend? Another Mohammed. Let me write Mohammed over there. I'm, I mean, we're a quarter of a, of, of a way across the planet. I said, wait, how big is this show? It's amazing. It's crazy that you're still saying that after all these years. You know, it goes to show you the purity. And and I will say this uh, firsthand. People like Federico Castelluccio, who played mm -hmm. Fiorio. Mm -hmm. Yourself, who played Johnny Sack. Uh, David Praval, who played Richie Aprio. I mean, I could keep on going on. Nothing like their characters. Tremendous hearts. Tremendous, just beautiful people. Nice people. Yeah. Sweet people. You know, talented. It, it, people. Yeah, talented people. It, and it's very special to see. You know, when you start thinking about like who likes the show, who didn't like the show, or who mm -hmm. knows. You know, it's really crazy. You think about how you were. You know, and rest in peace to. Uh, you know, who played your wife on mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Um, you know, what's her name again in, in, in real? Denise Barino. Denise Barino. Yeah. She died at a young age. Tragically. Yeah. I mean, sick. Yeah. And even how, like, you just, like, the character you had, you know, well, not the character, meaning the character she had, but mm -hmm. the camaraderie you had. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, think about it. That's normal. That's one thing I think I personally always loved this, about The Sopranos is that I feel like they brought me into their, like, I was wondering, what are they doing? I wonder what they're doing now. I wonder what... Like, yeah. I wonder what they're going to do next. You, you miss them. Yes. Yeah. And I miss them. And right. I think that, you know, like some relationships, some some women or some men have eating disorders, right? You mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. And to see that and then the way people are making fun and how you mm -hmm. stuck up. I mean, how was even that, like working with that, you know, being a married man and not having like all these gumads, yeah. you know? Yeah. No. Well, you know what happened was, uh, you know, uh, David Chase doesn't telegraph what he's going to do. So you don't know what's happening until they give you the new script. I had no idea Johnny was going to have a wife. I had no idea. Um, and when they cast her, she had shown up at this open casting thing in Harrison, New Jersey, which I understand 18,000 people showed up to. And uh, the police had to shut it down. And HBO, who had their people there, said, well, uh, if we haven't gotten a chance to see you, send your picture and resume to our address in Manhattan HBO, and then they picked hers out and they cast her. And again, I had no idea I was getting a wife. And um, so she came in, and uh, not an actress at the time, you know, this was brand new to her. Sure. And uh, she got through it, you know, she got through it, and uh, I, I think that she relied a bit on me or whomever else to try to walk her through sure. it, you know. Um, but I, it wasn't something that, you know, the fact that Johnny did not have a girlfriend set him apart from the other True. main characters. Um, but I, I think the reason that, again, you know, you look at it this way. If Johnny had cheated on his wife, I think his concentration of being such a practical businessman would have been diminished. Sure. And his character would have been diminished in the sense that, oh, Johnny has a weak... Johnny only had one weakness. He smoked. Like a motherfucker. That was it. Chain smoker. Yeah, that was his one thing. He wasn't a drunk. He was not a gambler. He didn't owe money to Shylocks. And he stood by his wife because apparently, if you go back in the storyline, Johnny says... Uh, to someone, you know, she was some hoofer when she was younger. She was thin. She was a dancer. I mean, you wouldn't expect Johnny to have uh, 
a dowdy wife. She wasn't dowdy. She was, the wife was overweight, but he protected her. Sure. You know, um, I think that it's too much of a default setting when you see a lot of these films that have to do with organized crime, that these guys are always with another girl. Sure. You know, I'm, we've been there. We've done that already. You know, you could write it by numbers. It's not interesting, you know. Tony was a different story. Tony Tony was into instant gratification, and, and he did what he did. But the fact that Johnny had was loyal to his wife, I think had really did have a lot to... I get, I get responses. I shouldn't say responses. I get comments from a lot of women. I have for years, Twitter especially, whatever. Oh, Johnny was so wonderful, he never cheated on his wife. Yeah. Know, that's the kind of husband I wish I had. He was you know, a good man. Yeah, he was a good man. And a lot of people, I mean, one of the craziest scenes when you came back into the house and found her downstairs with the snacks. <laughs> I mean, that is one of the, you know, people love that because it was like, I mean, even the way you found her. I mean. Let me tell you what happened. Uh, I left the house. I left my house in my black Mercedes, which I'm going to tell you about that if you got a minute. Yep. That's an interesting story. So I left my house and I got the radio on. And I'm going, oh, shit. I forgot. I had to go back to the house. I wanted to get my father a sweater. I was going to go visit him in Boston. Okay. So I pull up to the house. I walk into that and I say, then I say, why is the door open or unlocked? Whatever. So that was it for the day. Okay. So what they did was, I, I want to say it was about four or five weeks later, we shot the scene of me going down the steps, but they built it in silver cut. And there's the washing machine, the dryer, you know. So now I'm saying to myself, okay, so it's four weeks later. It's supposed to be a minute later. What am I thinking? What's Johnny, you know? What? Sure. So you go downstairs, you find her with the candy, and then she just looks up like this, you know. Like, okay, you caught me, whatever. And I, if you want to you see pragmatism and pride, I feel that when I shot that scene, that I was so disappointed in her. Here I am, stepping out for her honor, asking for somebody to be killed, and you're over here, and you're not, you're not doing the deal of meal cards, you're not doing the dieting, and I'm out here asking my boss at the time, Carmine, to put a hit, permission? I mean, you, you, really, you disappointed me. You know, and that was a moment where, another moment where Johnny did not feel that he was covered, that he was protected by sure. the people he loved. Because here she is, and she's not supposed to be doing this. Yeah. Especially since I asked for, uh, you know, a killing to happen because of the insult. Yeah. Crazy moments, and rest in peace to her. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, gone way too soon. Yeah. You know, um, as we wind this episode down, I do want to touch on a couple things. And one is your teaching uh, abilities and how you have formed and created a workshop. Where, you know, I actually got a chance to see it today. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Uh, loud and then quiet. Uh, mm -hmm. Kind of like Johnny Sack. Um, you know, just interesting. You know, what made you want to get into teaching an acting class workshop? There's something in the Bible. I think it's in Romans. And it says, if you can preach, preach. If you can do something well share it and that's my focus with the workshop which i began mm, two and a half years ago 
And I felt that it would be time for me at this point in my life to add that to my resume, not to feel like, oh, this is another feather in my cap. But I feel that the craft of acting, first of all, let me tell you, I'm, I'm not a teacher. I'm a coach, really. Mm. I don't believe you can teach. Well, that's a whole nother, whatever. But I felt that if I can impart the enthusiasm to other people who are willing, if I can impart the enthusiasm that I have for this kind of work, then I'm doing what I should be doing. And I have wonderful, wonderful students. And they're, they're, they're loyal and they work hard. They really do their homework and they come in every week. Some of them are on Zoom because they come from L.A. and Florida and Canada and wherever else, Washington, D.C. And then I have the ones that are in person with me every week also. But I have to tell you, I remember on my first few episodes of The Sopranos, and especially when they, they made me... Uh, series regular and you know in many scenes you have um you could have 80 extras in a scene in a restaurant or wedding whatever it is you know and i re vividly remember <clears throat> i don't know how i'm going to say this feeling almost guilty and self-conscious that I had the role of a lifetime. And here are these other actors who maybe would like to be doing what I'm doing. And maybe nobody's ever reached out to them to say, hey, this is the road you should take. You should study, you should whatever. And I, I always kind of felt bad. I think I did mention it to Maureen, uh, I, you know, coming home from the set on occasion, saying, you know, uh, I feel funny. I don't feel badly for them because they enjoy, you know, they get paid and whatever. But I kind of felt that, you know, maybe there's something in them that hasn't been seen yet. And why only me? Why can't other people feel this incredible satisfaction of work and so i am actually i'm uh what's the word i want to use i want to be accurate um i'm i'm flattered i'm humbled actually that people come to me and say to me vince uh what can you show me in this craft and that makes me feel so mm. wonderful and I love it, and I'll do it until I can't breathe anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't care. Um, but it's it, when I see the faces light up that they know they've hit that sweet spot sure. in the scene sure. or a monologue, I'm, 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 I'm over the moon. You know, you, you call yourself a coach, and that's a special thing because people need mentors. People need coaches in their life. People need people behind them just to believe in them. And mm -hmm. then people also need a space to do what they do. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, awesome that you provide that. Actually, let's, you know, it's funny because I was telling you, I think off air, but, you know, I would love to see, and I, you know, we'll see what happens, who knows, but with Sopranos Con um, and them going digital with virtual cons, mm -hmm. 
And then also there'll be Sopranos Cons in 2021, God willing, yeah. you know, uh, people come back in April, hopefully April. Yeah. And, um, but I will say this, uh, and this is kind of somewhat news or breaking news, but you know, they are in the talks of, uh, purchasing or, uh, partnering or acquiring the house that Tony Soprano had, mm -hmm. uh, throwing, uh, events, yeah. uh, possible Airbnb. And also, I could see uh, Vincent Caratola's workshop at Tony Soprano's house one day. I don't know; could be a possibility. That would be very interesting. You know, um, yeah. just 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 the uh, just just to have the aesthetic, the uh, mm -hmm. the, uh, the vibe, the vibe right. uh, would be incredible. Because yeah. you know, you have done something. Let me tell you something. I really admire you as a person uh, when you Thank talk you. about. Uh, you know, being humble and being flattered and, 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 and feeling for the other person that just shows, you know, what type of character you are. But I will say this, y your family and you probably made some good money throughout masonry through the years. And, you know, maybe the acting didn't make you the most money. Right. But what you did is going to live forever, even when you're gone. Um, you know, they always say, you know what success is to, to me, success is, is, is different to everybody. To me, success is looking forward to something, Yeah. but there's also people say success is, uh, you know, uh, to leave something mm -hmm. behind yes, that lives exactly. longer than you. Exactly. And, right. and you, and you have done that, you know? Well, thank you. But you know, I'll tell you something. I'm, I'm a great fan of Turner classic movie channel and, and my, my the students know that. And I was watching that long before I got to this point as an actor. And I'm, I'm sitting down and I'm watching a film from 1942 with fabulous actors. And I'm saying to myself, those days that they were on set in Hollywood shooting this, did they think a guy named Vince Kiratola would be sitting down in 2020 watching them and being so in awe of them? Mm. And I think that's a very special gift. A very, and I hope my grandsons who are now 12 and 9, which they can't watch it yet, they will. It's funny because you go somewhere with them and then they'll turn around to my wife. They call her Waka. And they say, Waka, Waka why does everybody take a picture with Appa? Why do they want to take a They don't get it. Yeah, yet. sure. Now they're getting it, you know, because of other things I've done, whatever. But if I could have that when I'm wherever I'm going to wind up, I'm going to feel, my soul is going to feel fabulous. God bless. That's a beautiful thing. And um, just as a, an aside, a teamster who worked on our set bought the black Mercedes Johnny Sack drove in the show. Really? Years ago. And called me up. Bought it from you or bought it from? No, bought it from whatever car How company. much did that go for? Do you know? I don't know what he bought it for, but he called me in January and I know him. And he said, uh, I have the Johnny Sack Mercedes. I said, okay. He said, I want to give it to you. Mm. I said, you want to give it to me? He said, yeah, I want it. you should have it. Really? So I have it. Well, I, I didn't yeah, even know so that. Is that the one that you, when we were in front of that, um, with, with Federico and them, you pulled up in? No, that's my. That's okay. The one I drive every day. It's okay. in the garage. But this other one is older, much older. But, uh, so I have it. It's being. Being fixed up, spiffed up, painted this and that, whatever, and that's a beautiful thing. What's his name? The guy, you know? Todd. Shouts to Todd. Shouts. Yeah, shouts Todd. To you're Todd. a good man. You're a good fella. Todd from the Teamsters, and you're wonderful, 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 heartfelt human being wherever you are. And well, you're local. I'll call you. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, 
as we <laughs> as we wind this episode down, man, what a journey. I don't journey. feel like winding down, all right? What, what a journey. Look at me in the eyes when I tell you I don't feel like listen, winding listen down. Listen to me, uh, Kirito. What a what a what an amazing journey you've been on. Yes. Right? Let me tell you, sometimes you don't get a chance to see that or say that or understand that when you're living your own life. True. You know, um you know, it's been a it's been I mean, even like when you think about Sopranos Con. You got a chance to see all these people. Oh, it was I amazing. mean, the line that you had for people to yeah. get autographs. Yeah. And I mean, what what was, honestly, what was the experience like that? Uh, we had people who flew in from Holland, Australia, England, a lot of people from England. I had people from Ireland, had people from Oklahoma, Yeah, you know. And I mean, it was, yes, we did, had a great line. I had yeah. a great line. And for two days, yeah. you know. <laughs> Non-stop. Non-stop. But the funny part was when you, you know, you go to the to the men's room with a security guy and they stop you, stop you, stop you, stop. You. I yeah. gotta go yeah, to yeah, the yeah. bathroom. You understand? You know, you know, it's funny. I was actually walking with David Praval, Richie Aprio, and he's like, I gotta go to the bathroom. <laughs> and I says, and, and and one of the guys who worked there, he says, Hey guys, come with me, I'll help you. So I literally <laughs> led David, like a security guard, through, and all yeah. you heard was the jacket. And he's it, like, "I got to pee, I got to pee pee." So the funny thing is, uh, and, and and let me tell you something. Respect to uh, uh, David again, mm -hmm. one of the most nicest guys I ever he met really, in my life. Very talented. He's guy. in. He's taking a piss. Scary guy. Yeah, yeah, very yeah, scary. Yeah. He's taking a piss. I'm taking a piss. He's talking to me. Some guy just comes on the side of him. I'm telling you, some people don't think. No. And he's like. Hey, buddy, uh, I want you to do my show in about 10 minutes. Yeah. And yeah. he turned around as he's pissing. And right. Like, in right. my mind, I'm like, so I just turned to him. I says, buddy, you realize the guy's taking a piss? He goes, yeah, 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 the jacket. <laughs> and I says, what the fuck? Is this guy crazy? So yeah. the funny thing is, he, David Preval turns to me, he walks out, and he, he says, yeah, yeah, I'll, do, I'll see you in a couple of minutes. And, and he's like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. He's like, yeah. And he's like, I only do your show. I says, no, David, it's not like that. He goes, yeah, but these guys, they want to, you But But, you know, it goes to show of how much love there was. Oh there. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it. Listen, you know, when someone walks up to you because they recognize you, at that moment you have to make a very quick decision. You're either going to make this one of the most fucked up moments of their lives, or you're going to make it one of the best moments of their lives. True. Depending upon your reaction and your attitude to them. Okay. And so it's incumbent upon you as someone who's seen and somewhat known. To respect the fact that they ran up to you, you know, there are moments like you just mentioned where it, it becomes stressful, you know, because you're in the bathroom. And then you don't want to look like a dick because no, it's, you like, don't. it's like if you say something and they're like, ah, no. Johnny Sack is nasty. Yeah, exactly. And I wouldn't want that. And he's that. not. No. And he's not. But, no. you, but he's taking a piss and you bother him. I mean, I've yeah. seen people don't think, look, I, look I've been to... Uh, 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 dinner, I'll never forget, in Del Frisco's yes. with Justin Tuck, who played for the Giants, yeah. and two of my other friends. Mm -hmm. Guys would come up to him while we were eating and mm -hmm. just be like this, like, Justin Tuck, man, I want yeah. you, buddy. And, yeah. and, and he'd be like, yeah. like, you know, the right. guy was just eating. You hit his yeah. fork, it almost yeah. hit his fucking tooth. I, yeah, yeah, I had, yeah. I had, <laughs> I had, an actor did that to me. I was in um, Montreal. We were doing a film called uh, Nicky Deuce. Jimmy was in it, and uh, me, Imperial. And so I'm standing outside. I'm waiting for the Teamster to pick me up to bring me to the set in the morning. So I'm standing outside this hotel. It's the old section of Montreal. And, you know, they got the cobblestone. And I'm, like, trying not to fall down into the roadway because it's all chopped up. And somebody comes up and grabs me from behind. 
both shoulders from behind, spins me around so I could look at him. He says, okay, yeah, I know. You're tough, right? You're a big mob guy, right? It was James Woods, the actor. Really? I said, I never met you. This is how the fuck you say hello? <laughs> he, he was in Montreal doing something, the White House Down, that movie. Yeah, that, yeah. Okay, whatever. Fucking James Wood. But um, you know, occasionally, you, you know, you'll, you'll get an encounter where you feel a little bit uncomfortable. But, you know, you get through it. But uh, I just very quickly, I got a... I got a two Tony Sirico things for you yeah. very, very quickly. Uh, we were in L.A. at uh, the Four Seasons Hotel. HBO had flown us out m multiple times for award shows that you know we were nominated for. So it was, it was Saturday night, the night before the show, the award show. And we're at a table off the bar, you know. Tony's on my left, his friend Mike Sullivan. Is next to him. Mike Sullivan, yeah. Isn't Wonderful that like his manager or something? Uh, a friend. Yeah, okay. he's a really close friend. And I'm sitting here. So you know how you could feel when somebody's like hovering over you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm sitting down. I'm getting like there's a shadow all of a sudden on the table, you know. So I look up very carefully. You know, I turn. Not quickly. Just It was the prime minister of Great Britain, John wow. Major. He had just left the position. Then they had Tony Blair, whatever. So he's smiling and he puts, he's got these two bodyguards with him. So I immediately get up. He said, I just want you to know how much I love your show and blah, 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 blah. Your character and blah, 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 blah. I said, oh, my God, thank you so much, you know. I shook his hand. So with that, he's looking at Tony, who's sitting there. Like, he wants to get introduced to Sirico. Uh, so I said, Tony, um, could you get up for a minute? <laughs> wow, what the fuck do you want? Tony, could you just get up for a minute? This gentleman would like to say hello. So he sits down. Yeah, how you doing? Tony, this is the Prime Minister of Great Britain. <laughs> he looks Whoa, up at him. Sick. He looks up at him. And the guy's smiling. He's very polite. He looks up. Yeah, 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 yeah. He looks like that guy. Yeah, okay. He keeps talking to Mike Sullivan. Tony, could just for a moment get up? He wants to shake hands with you. The fuck are you bothering me for? I told you. Yeah, you look like the guy, all right? <laughs> Finally, oh, shit. I said, Tony, get up. Just like that. Tony, get up. Wow, what is it? What the fuck was it? Oh, yeah, it is you. Oh, yeah, it's you. How you doing? He told me it's you, so it's you. Right? How are you? I recognize you. It was hysterical. Two days later, we won the award. Two days later, we're on a plane, and we're, we're at LAX, and Tony has a habit, you know, Tony doesn't just talk to you. He does this when he's talking yeah, to yeah. you all the time, you know. So we get on the plane. Lorraine Brock goes in that aisle. Jimmy's near her, whatever. So I went to grab McDonald's inside LAX, and Tony said, yeah, I'll have a hamburger. So I bring that. So I get on the plane, and we're in the first three rows, and I look around. There's only one seat. It's next to Tony Sirico. Mm. Now I'm looking at six hours in the air with him, which I've done many times. And the, by the time I got off the plane, you would have thought I had a tetanus shot in my left arm because it's up in the fucking air, black and blue. Because for six hours, he's telling me things and he's going like this. Tony, I am, I, you, stop already with the sign language. My arm was, I got home, I put like salve on it to cool it down. He's hysterical. 
Oh my, he's he's a, he's he's. A, he's well, an you know, there was guy. no part written for Paulie Walnuts. You know that story. Yeah. No, tell no, tell me. You don't know that story. No. Oh, okay, fine. His manager's agent sent him in, looked at the breakdown for Uncle Junior. <clears throat> Calls up casting. He says, "Well, my client Tony Sirico, I'd like to uh, submit him for an audition for the part of of, of Junior." So he goes in. Thank you. He goes in, and uh, he reads for them. David Chase is in the in, at the audition, and uh, this is first season; hadn't aired yet. And he says, "Well, thank you very much for coming in, blah blah blah." But you know what? We just had Dominic Kinesi. Oh, I know Dominic. I did Gotti with him in Canada. We just had Dominic Kinesi and come in a few hours ago, and we're going to give him the role of Uncle Junior. We don't, you know, we don't have another role for you to read for. So David Chase says, but having met you just now, I'm going to write a part for you. Mm. And that's how they created Paulie Walnuts. There was no Paulie Walnuts in the original manifestation of this. Tony runs home. He's got the parties. Oh, this is great. They're writing a part for me. <clears throat> runs home, picks up the phone, calls Dominic Kinesi at home. Dominic, Tony, you're going to be Uncle Junior. So what are you talking about? My agent didn't call me. I know since I was only in there four hours ago. No, 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 no. They told me you're going to be Uncle Junior and they're going to write a part for me. Thanks. Goodbye, Paul. And he hung up the phone. Dominic's now stunned. You know, calls his agent. Is this true? Yeah, they just called me, Dominic. They're offering you the role. But that's Tony. Sick bastard. Funny. He's he, Listen, to, to, to be able to be, I was at his house. Um... You know, it's funny. I seen a bat in the corner of his house. A bat? Yeah, a bat. Oh, baseball bat. Like a bat. baseball bat. Oh, he took it all over and I years said, ago. Yeah, and I said, I said, uh, what's the bat for? He says, I don't need to say nothing if anybody gets out of line. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and you know, he still had it in him. No, he's tough. Um, he's you know, tough. Just he's a, a tough guy. Just a great individual. He's and for somebody, to be honest with you, to be, what a journey he's lived, you know? Oh. You know? To My be, God. that's I, why he says, you know, I, I, I what do you say? He did some military time. He yeah, did, he yeah, did he some jail away. time. Yeah, right, right. He right. said that was half a wise guy, half an actor. Right, right. Um, and here we are today. Well, you know what spurred him? Um, and I'm not talking out of school because he's talked about this. Public uh, knowledge. Yeah, it is. Uh, he was away, you know, and a traveling acting troupe came into the prison and put on a play in 1970. 6970. So he saw this and it just, he was enraptured. He said, When I get out of here, I'm going to be an actor. Got out of prison, went, I believe, all the way downtown to an acting class that was taught by the actor Michael Gazzo. Mm. Michael Gazzo went on to play Frankie Pantangeli in The Godfather and wrote a fabulous film called uh, A Hat Full of Rain. Mm. So Tony went to his class. And Gazzo, a street guy, Tony, you see this this cup? Every time when they come in every week for the class, you go around with the cup. They don't put the fucking money in the cup. Tell them, get the fuck out. <laughs> I don't want him here. And that's how, actually, it's how he began. That's crazy. Yeah. Tony, man, you know, he, Tony Sirico, the living legend. But, um, we we're talking about, you know, you receiving something from the the late great, uh, the legendary, the iconic James Gandolfini, mm -hmm. and and he 
correct me, but how did this go down? He bought certain what, people what watches? What he did was, yeah, what Jimmy did was um, he had contacted a watch company by the name of Cobalt, and he liked their watches, and what he did was got a hold of the owner of the company and said that uh, I'd like to have some watches made uh, for the cast, for the main cast. So I guess about 15 and then producers, writers. I, I want to say he must have bought 35 watches. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to go into cost because that's gauche. But um, so this watch is a cobalt. What he did was um, we did um, an appearance. We did a personal appearance at Foxwoods the night before the final episode of the show aired in June of 07. So we did this huge meet and greet, and there were about maybe eight of us from the main cast, and him, of course. Um, and then we went, we would always go back up to Jimmy's suite wherever we were appearing personally, and we would always have, you know, in the suite would be a couple of bartenders and a waiter, and they'd send up incredible food and whatever. So he went into the bedroom one of the bedrooms of the suite, and he came out with these boxes, arms full of boxes. And he went over to each one of us and he said, here, 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 here. So we opened them, and here's the watch, but on the back of the watch is an inscription. It says 1997 to 2007. Uh, rest in peace. Thank you. J.G. The Sopranos. R.I.P. Weird, isn't it? So he was basically saying rest in peace to The Sopranos. Understood, but still. No, I know you. I'm, I'm not telling I know, you. I know no, you know. Just strange. Just so strange to use that language. It's almost like um, this was like a parting gift there was something else Jimmy did uh, I think it was uh, third season, fourth season um, he has a production company called Attaboy Productions his own production company which he went on to develop some shows with with HBO and uh, he wrote out a check to each and every one of us in the main cast <laughs> which was a ridiculous check. You didn't have to. We get paid from HBO. But he gave us some of the rewards from his production company. I can't tell you how much, but it was extremely sizable. Mm -hmm. And he just did it because he felt like doing it. You know, where do you where do you where do you find that? Where do you see anybody do something so magnanimous without being, you know. That's amazing. Thanks for uh, sharing that mm -hmm. with uh, with the world. Um, you My know. pleasure. And rest in peace um, and sleep in peace. Sleep in peace. You know, when, when, um, when we heard that Jim had passed, um, I was just coming back from Manhattan. I was in Weehawken, which anybody is. Yeah, we Weehawken, New Jersey. Weehawken, New Jersey. And my phone rang. And it was someone who, I can't mention, but anyway, uh, someone said to me, did you hear something about Jimmy? 
I said, no way. He's in Italy with his son. He's on a vacation. Did you hear anything about Jimmy? No. What, what are we talking about? Somebody said he died. Really? Somebody said he died. Because about a year before, there was like there was an internet rumor that he had died one weekend when some bullshit, you know. I can't remember that. Okay. So I called someone who would know. And they said, yeah, he, uh, a few hours ago in Rome. Really? Yeah, it was probably a heart attack. It was surreal. It was surreal. I had seen him. We did a fundraiser for Super, Super Song Standy, but in a, in a Long Island place for some reason. On a Saturday, it was me, him, Sirico, I forgot whoever else. It was about, yeah, it was about four weeks before. And then the week after that, we did Mohegan Sun as an appearance, you know. And uh, he died. What do you mean he died? How could he? Jimmy doesn't die, you know. Certain people don't die, sure. right? So then there was this big hem and haw about trying to get his body back from Rome to New Jersey. That took a long time. And I got a phone call from then Governor Chris Christie. He called me on my cell phone. And he said, oh my God, Jimmy and Dubba. He said, when, when are they flying the body back? I, I, I don't know. HBO had gotten one of their planes ready, sent it to Rome. And so this jet sat there and waited for the body to be released because they were going to bring Jim's body back to Teterboro. And um, there was delay, delay, delay. You know, everything in Italy is like, we'll do it tomorrow. We'll sure, do sure. it next week. We'll do it next month, you know. Um, so finally, um, they measured the outer box because you got a casket, then a box, and then because he's international, there's another box. And unfortunately... They figured out that the box would not fit through the door of the private jet. Big jet. Right? So I guess they had to get a commercial flight. So Chris said to me, okay, uh, all right, so I'm going to send state troopers to Teterboro, and we'll escort the body back to a funeral home nearby in Park Ridge, New Jersey. I said, I don't know, Chris. I don't know when, the, which plane, when it's going to land, where it's going to land at this point. Of course, they brought him back, and he was, you know, they waked him locally. And then the next day was the funeral at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine in uh, yeah. Morningside Heights. Huge. Beautiful. Gorgeous. I mean, you could fit 747s inside. You still got room left over to play a football game. Matter of fact, I just found out it's two football fields long plus a foot. Mm. Big. Okay? So they had the invitation list for the funeral. <clears throat> and because we were worker, we worked with him, and certain writers and producers were uh, invited to come at nine o'clock in the morning, so we could spend some time before the masses filled in. You know, thirty-five hundred people. So they put Jim's uh, casket in an ante room. Ante room to them is like the size of this whole street. So I remember I walked up to the casket with Maureen 
and they had the, a drape over the casket. Of course, it was closed. And I leaned down near his head, and I whispered, I said, Jimmy, what the fuck are you doing here? You're too big to die. It was just like, nah, it's not really him in there. Can't be. It's impossible, you know. And of course, then Chris Christie uh, called me on my cell phone. He said, I'm, I'm in Trenton and I'm getting into a helicopter and I'm going to helicopter over to the west side of Manhattan. And then, you know, my guys, the state troopers, are going to drive me to the cathedral. And then he got off the helicopter, called me again. I'm out of the helicopter. And now I'm getting into the SUV. Okay. Calls me 20 minutes later. I'm outside the cathedral. I saw I went out and I got him. I brought him in. He put all the flags in New Jersey at half mass the day at the funeral, for which he was criticized. Not by everyone, but um, so he came into the cathedral. I walked him all the way up to, I introduced him to David Chase and Alec Baldwin and this one over there. And he was very gracious. He said, please don't, don't call me governor. I'm, my name is Chris and David. He stayed for the whole two and a half, three hour, whatever it was. Because Jimmy was a Jersey guy, you know. Um, and the funeral was massive. It was really massive. People there, I mean, you, you couldn't breathe for crying because you just couldn't stop crying. Like, what the fuck happened here? This is impossible. Can't be. This cannot be real. Um, it was real. The, the, the aftershock to this day, and it's strange because not even a couple of days after the funeral, I was outside, and you know, there's a lot of land here, you saw it, and I was outside, and I was smoking a cigar one morning about, I don't know, 10 o'clock, having a cup of coffee, and I see this bird, a red cardinal. They're rare. Sitting over here, and he's looking at me. And I'm smoking a cigar. I don't know, it was a weird feeling. Jimmy smoked cigars. We smoked them together. I said, Maureen, you know, it's so strange. I came upstairs, and uh, someone called here, a woman who's a very spiritual woman. I can't, I don't want to mention her name because. It's okay. But very spiritual woman. She said, Vincent, how are you feeling with regard to all this, blah, blah, blah. I said, you know, I said, for three days in a row now, I got this bird that comes outside. And this was in the month of J June. And he stares at me while I'm puffing on my cigar. She said, that's Jimmy. I said, you know, I wouldn't doubt it. I just wouldn't doubt it. And it's weird, he's still here. It's probably his great-grandson bird now, but they don't live that long, but it's weird. You feel them all the time. You feel them all. There are times when I'm on set somewhere, and I get a feeling, uh, like I'm going to have dialogue with him. I'm not somebody else, but he's he's... The guy just has an immense energy that could never possibly be buried in the ground. It's impossible. He can't. It's too big. And I got to tell you something. Uh, you know, 
I didn't study acting much, but what Jimmy taught me and never realized he taught me was a lot about the craft. Uh-huh. He didn't know he was teaching me anything, I'm sure. I didn't ask him to teach me anything, but just working with him. True, made you... Oh, my God. Well, you know, look, man, when you want to be a great tennis player, who do you play with, a guy who sucks at playing True. tennis? Or McEnroe. Right? Or, or McEnroe. Right. You, you like, you seek them out. Could you, could you help me out? You know, could you show me what... This... But to have that... Yeah. ...is an honor. It, it was an honor. It is Because most honor. people won't have a no. Gandolfini or a, or, an, or a McEnroe. No. That's absolutely correct. It, it, that's absolutely correct. So, you know, he made he, he makes you better. He made you better. Because, you know, you would work with him and then come into the next episode with him again saying, oh, yeah, okay, I got this. Sure. I know, which, I know what direction he's going to go in, more or less, you know, and I'm going to catch it. I'll be okay. You know, I'll, yeah, he'll throw the ball. I'll catch it. It'll be okay. That's how he made you feel. And humble as the day is long. Humble on the set every Friday. If you were working on a Friday, he had a sushi truck come. And don't forget, we have a caterer. Yeah. And we have craft service people. Every Friday, he would have a sushi truck come and just sit there all day long on the lookout, wherever, and just make sushi all day long. All day. I love him. All day. Literally tell the PA, production assistant, please go in my Winnebago and give me give me my, my wallet. And bring the wallet. Pull out the Amex card. Boom. Here. I don't know. Close it out at the end of the day. Don't worry about it. But who does that? You know, it's so amazing to hear that he didn't work for HBO, even though he got paid, say, by HBO. But you know what I'm saying? He was bigger than an employee. You understand? He he to make moves like that, I'm Uh sure he even was like I'm sure HBO was like, uh Yeah. Uh, we'll pay that, or maybe not. Yeah, I'm just or maybe saying. not. No, yeah, yeah. I, I was, so, I'd rather so, go with maybe not. I'm sorry, but that's yeah. But that's he life. did it. He did it. He did it. He did it because I think I feel I I believe, and I remember I said to him one day, I said, Jimmy, I said, you know, this has been going on for years now. I said, you 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 don't you refuse every talk show invitation. He said, yeah, I do. Except he did Actors Studio, which I get, you know. Jim Lipton, you know, yeah, yeah, you, you yeah, got to do yeah, his yeah, show, absolutely. right? Um, so I said, you never do any any talk shows. He said, why the fuck does anybody want to know about me now? Because when I drove a cab and I tended bar, nobody gave a fuck about my life. So why should I talk about it now? Very cool move. Yeah. Because when you saw James, James Gandolfin, you saw him in character. Yeah, you didn't see him at eleven thirty at night after the news. Ha ha ha! He he he! Boop boop boop! On some fucked up talk show. True, and I admire him. And I'll tell you something: if I ever got to that caliber of fame, I wouldn't do it either. Yeah, this is different. This is intimate. Yeah, no, no, I respect that, and I understand that, and I'll tell you that's what made Gandolfini who he is. Yeah, because any whenever interviews I've seen him do. He would always push them off on other people. So people say, like, oh, yeah. You know, yeah, how yeah, great yeah. is it to be Tony Soprano? Yeah. And he would say, well, we have some amazing writers. Right. Or, you exactly. know, he, he yeah. was like that guy. And sometimes, you know, self effacing. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, 
they they say legends never die so you know we we continue to say this uh you know uh the legacy will continue to live on obviously mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um for every cast member that was involved yeah. in sopranos yeah. cuz sopranos was more than just uh, a tv show um you know it became a lifestyle it became it became an ins- inspiration for a lot of other shows um you know it, it was everything so you know you know you know it's yeah it it looking from the inside out i remember many times i i wish i had like a dollar for every time jimmy would say why is everybody saying that this is a dramatic television series he said i think it's funny it's more like a sitcom and there were so many stages of it where you said to yourself this is fucking funny sure you know because black humor is hysterical. Sure. Black in the sense of dark humor. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he said, you know, I don't I keep reading these things in the post and the pop, but a bit, you know, the, the drama drama series surprise. We're not a drama, we're a fucking, you know, it's a sideshow. Yeah. But what he brought to I, I've seen him prepare for and and that's another thing. And I tell it to our students all the time. Don't think. Before the shot, before the scene, talk about the weather. That, and that's what we did. We talked about, hey, did you see that new car that's coming out? You see this? Or, yeah, you go into that thing Saturday night? I don't know. I'm not sure if I want to go. Action, boom, you go into character. And we left it there. And as soon as you hear cut, we're still talking about the other shit. Sure. You just, you just know when to go in and ping that sweet spot and then come out of it. And that's how he was. He told us always, don't think, just let's talk. When you hear action, just say the lines. From the legend himself, James Gandolfini. Yeah. You know, listen, uh, Vince, we 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 kind of went over the whole journey, you know, from mom and dad to mm-hmm. a young paper boy to Mason to your own business mm-hmm. to your pops. And, you know, uh, when you said your pops uh, knew that you were serious about, you know, with business, when, well, not business, meaning when you started acting. Yeah. Um, is it because he saw you? Because the guy, you know, obviously he did well for himself. So it's not like sometimes I'll tell people this story, not meaning your story, meaning the 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 part of it. And and most of them, their parents really didn't have much. Mm-hmm. So meaning like when they did, well, we weren't wealthy. Well, no, I don't mean well yeah, off, but right, meaning yeah, like we, we some, were, we were like good. some of these yeah. people were able to become mm-hmm. actors or athletes or at, mm-hmm. you know or mm-hmm. or entrepreneurs and buy their mother a house yes you know that's when they believe them sure you know because most of the time you think like you know you know these things can't be possible Mm -hmm. like i'm sure there's a point in time that you thought that you couldn't be an actor and i'll tell you one thing you could talk yourself right fucking out of it if you if you give yourself long enough you can talk yourself out of it and that's what i tell my people in the workshop when you wake up in the morning you say to yourself i'm an actor yeah, I got to go to my job right now at the bank or wherever, but I'm an actor. Sure. You've got to you've got to see it. You have to see it so it'll manifest. Sure. You do. You have to see it. You got to fake it till you make it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I believe in that. I believe in that. Listen, um where can people it's Vince underscore, uh, underscore uh, Curatola on Twitter and Instagram? No, it's uh, on Instagram is Vince underscore Curatola. Yep, on Twitter it's Vince Curatola Twitter, straight up. It's Vincent Curatola, all one. And that's C U R A T O L A. And the workshop is the acting workshop with 
vincentcuratola at gmail.com. My God, you want a longer fucking thing? I get paid to memorize. All right, you know? there we go. Um, and then and then listen, what I also want people to do is check out uh, virtualcons.com. Yes, virtualcons. We're going we're gonna to- So let me actually give people an understanding. Virtualcons.com is, is what was formed from Sopranos Con since we're in a pandemic, but also it's going to be 24-7 cons, not only on Sopranos Con, Mob Movie Con, Boxing Con, but they're also going to be shout-outs, uh, similar to like Cameo. Mm-hmm. There's also going to be workshops. Uh, there's also going to be uh, giveaways, uh, exclusive merch. Um, I mean, there's tons of things. And like I said, probably Tony Soprano's house is going to be involved in there, how you could either attend an event or do an Airbnb, something to that. But there's a lot. So head on over to virtualcons.com. They're personal friends of both of ours and, uh, you know, friends that became family. Yeah. So listen, um, check out Vince Curatola on Instagram and Twitter. Email or if you him. want to shout out on Cameo, yeah, on Cameo. I just recently yep. started that. And, and, so. and, and he's telling people, uh, you know, this is not the fucking UN right That's now. That's right. It's not the fucking, it's the fucking UN now. Hey, there you go. Um, listen, Vince, thanks for a uh, great, great, you know. I mean, you, you, it's funny because he says to me, Maureen, you, you know, how long is this going to be? Like a half hour? And, and, and next thing you know, we're almost at fucking uh, about an hour and 40 minutes. Anyway, listen, the internets are going to love... <laughs> They, you know, they love your character. You're a great person. Thank you. Um, and and thanks for sharing your journey. It's a pleasure. Thank you for asking me to share it. Of course. Internet's the one and only Vincent Curatola. Oh, yeah, Johnny Sacramoni. Man, what an episode. What a journey. Rest in peace to the late, great James Gandolfini. Tony Soprano will always remember you. Long live, long live the skipper. Long live the boss. Okay? And really, again, shouts to Johnny Sack. Shouts to, you know, him, him, well, shouts to Vincent Curatola, but shouts to Johnny Sack, too. Um, shouts to his wife, Maureen. Thank you for just opening your home to us and letting us come in there and do an amazing episode. I know the internet's worldwide going to like it. I'm going to love it. Now, if you want to advertise on the Premium Pete Show, you're a small business, big business, whatever you are, email thepremiumpetshow at gmail.com. Again, that's thepremiumpetshow at gmail.com, okay? Big business, small business, doesn't matter. You want to advertise, you want to start your own podcast, you want to build a network, you want to script out a show, listen, okay? I've been around a minute. We got a great team on that end too. Email me, thepremiumpetshow at gmail.com, and we'll get to working. Internets, stay safe, stay blessed, drink a lot of fucking wine, eat good pizza, finish your crust, okay? And tell a friend to tell a friend about the Premium Pete Show, to subscribe, to rate, to do, you know, listen, to do all that. And peace and blessings to you and your families. I'll see you next episode. Cheers.